0: You've got my luggage. (laughs) And my dentures. And my dentures.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And my uh, scrap of clothing. We'll come back to that, I
0: guess. (laughs) Hi, I'm Elizabeth Flux.
1: And I'm Ben McKenzie.
0: Welcome to Pratchett, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club podcast.
1: Each month we discuss one of Terry Pratchett's books with a special guest.
0: This month we're reading The Light Fantastic, and normally I would make a pun about that, but I haven't had any light bulb moments. <laughs> and our returning guest
1: is writer and podcaster, Joel Martin. Welcome, Joel. Hello to You're roaring back. applause. Hello. Good to be here. <laughs> You're our first three-time <laughs> guest. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And does that mean two-time lockdown guess?
1: Uh, yeah, that's yeah. true.
0: Oh, it means we should all be wearing hats because you know hat tricks.
1: <laughs> oh no, are they so. stupid hats, Liz?
0: No, no, it's just the one cricket thing I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you... Okay. If but... you get
0: three wickets, that's a hat trick for some reason.
1: That is true. It's because impressive. Oh, is it
0: because you take the hats off the wickets?
1: There. Um, I don't... I don't, don't know. No. Yeah. Because well, hat trick is more generally like when you do three things in a row. But I don't know if that's because of the cricket term or if that's why it's called that in cricket. When did we
2: first start throwing hats in the air? It's
1: a good mm. question. I don't know. All right. We have a
0: separate podcast. Oh, yeah.
1: No. yeah. Trivia moment. This is, yeah. yeah. yet again, I wish we had Helen Salzman of The Illusionist on the speed dial and say, <laughs> Helen, why is it called a hat trick? Uh, she would produce a delightful podcast episode about that. But uh, I, sorry, Helen, I don't know you well enough to call you by your first name. But I just, I just really love your podcast. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're not here to talk about her I've podcast. have derailed us already. Yeah. So, Joel, I mean, we did make you wait the same amount of time to come back and talk about this book. Yes. As the reading public had to wait back in the day. Oh, really? Yeah. This is our commitment to the bit is that. <laughs> We did the first ever Discord book around the time of its 35th anniversary, and then we said, "Well, now we'll do the second one around the time of its 35th anniversary," which, unfortunately for everyone else, was like years later. It's so
2: authentic, (laughs) yeah. And and I've committed to the bit by not reading any Pratchett other than you know the stuff that you've asked me to. So
0: (laughs) you got to read it in the timeline. I
2: know.
1: I've got Uh, from now on (laughs) got a perfect experience. It's about two and a half years, is the time gap. The Color of Magic was published on the 24th of November, 1983. And then The Light Fantastic, which is a direct sequel, pretty much the only direct sequel in the entire series, was published on the 2nd of June, 1986. So two and a half years later, more or less. So yeah, here we are, (laughs) two and a half years later. Have you forgotten everything that happened in the first book, Joel?
2: I mean, it was it was pretty close. I have to admit. Thankfully, I had the post-it notes, so I was like, "My favorite bits." Let's go have a look. And also, there was an episode about it on a podcast, I think, Ah. which I appeared on. So, oh yeah. Actually this is really helpful. I could, have, totally I could yeah. have listened to it. I didn't, but I could have.
1: There's more episodes on podcasts about the colour of magic than any other Discworld book because I can most imagine. of the podcasts start at the start. So even the ones that yeah. don't last very long all get through the colour yeah. of magic. They're
2: just like let's let's do this. Let's be yeah. I, I remembered most of it and I remember that I think Liz had a stronger reaction to Redswind than I did.
0: I've come around. You've come, come around? around him. Okay. Yeah. Right. I think um, I'd seen him in a different light yeah yeah
1: he's very well look we'll get on to what he's like in this book i guess yeah but shall we get into it yeah i know fantastic um let's let's begin oh Oh, dear um (laughs) let's i mean look you also you're setting yourself up for difficulty with that title aren't you because if people don't like it they'll be like it's more like the light terrible or something yeah As reviewers sometimes want to do. Uh, But the heavy bad. (laughs) (laughs) The dark fantastic. Let's start as we always do with a reading of the blurb. As it moves towards a seemingly inevitable collision with a malevolent red star, the disc world has only one possible saviour. Unfortunately, this happens to be the singularly inept and cowardly wizard called Rincewind, who was last seen falling off the edge of the world the funniest and most unorthodox fantasy in this or any other galaxy. What a strange way to describe this book. It makes it sound like it's Star Wars or something.
0: Which is, I guess they were trying to sell it a certain way because it wasn't an established thing. Yeah. So they need to be like, well, what what do people like and how can we make it seem like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, there is a bit of that kind of stuff in the book. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, But still, slightly weird. But that's a very short blurb from um, my early Corgi paperback edition. Do you have significantly different blurbs?
0: Mine's pretty similar, and I've got like a double book, so they're even shorter. Like it has like just a little bit of a blurb for each one. Singularly inept and cowardly, deeply unkind.
1: All right, well, look, let's dive straight in. I mean, we do... Well, let's fall straight off. (laughs) Much more (laughs) accurate. Yes, true. Um, Because we, we do encounter, I mean, there's... Liz, there's a lot of Cosmic Turtle business in this book. Yeah,
0: but it pays off in this book. Like, there's a yes. reason for so much Cosmic Turtle. So, I can accept this level of Cosmic Turtle when there's it's not just, like, fluff.
2: Yeah, because okay. c- the first book was just Cosmic Turtle is there, right? Like, mm. that, that was sort of the thing, you know?
0: And subsequent books, it's like, oh, yeah, here's some more Cosmic Turtle. Like, I love the chew-in, but I don't need that much Cosmic Turtle for no reason. Mm. Yeah. Except now.
1: Yes, because this book does build to a... I was going to say build to a climax, but it's not quite what happens. Um, it's not quite
0: the Big Bang, no.
1: No, no it's, no. it's interesting, that joke appears in the last book, but it's, yeah. it would fit kind of more in this one.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know. We start off reminding ourselves what has happened, basically. That's the first couple of pages, including the fact that, yes, this is a flat world on the back of some elephants, on the back of a turtle... I feel like, you know what, I'm being, I'm sort of skipping past this bit, but it occurs to me there must be some people who intend to read these books in order and then listen to our podcasts in order as well. Hmm. So, maybe, maybe we should take a little more care in introducing people into the world. So, if you have come from our episode on The Color of Magic, published two and a half years ago, welcome. <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> we never left. The whole time. Yeah. We rejoin the disc where we left it, which is swimming through space on the back of Great Atuan, the, the world turtle. And
0: so, technically, that's, like, not rejoining the disc. That's leaving the disc. What do you mean? He's, like, falling off it. So, he's, like, going away from well, the disc. Okay, he's bungee here.
2: jumping.
1: Yeah, Our protagonists are falling off the disc. That is true. Yeah.
0: Well, no, no, one's falling off. One is already, like, well off in, in a rocket.
1: That's right. Yeah, which is described in the prose as a Neolithic spaceship. That is not quite how I imagined it. Like, I imagined it sort of being made of, like, sort of metal and brass and... Like
2: a steampunk ship, yeah.
0: Yeah, a little bit, yeah. i picturing the rocket clock from from play school.
1: (laughs) Now I'm picturing Mr. Squiggle's rocket. (laughs) It's just a big puff of smoke. Oh, dear. But anyway, no, it falls off the disc. As intended, it's meant to go off the disc in order to find out the uh, sex of the turtle. Two flower... The disc's first tourist from the Gation Empire is inside with his luggage. And Rincewind is on the outside wearing a spacesuit with no helmet.
0: Yeah. Just free falling. For so the one bit you need.
1: Yeah. yeah. What is making them fall? Where's the gravity coming from? We don't know. We don't really need to know. Uh, Persuasion. Per- yes. Persuasion. <laughs> 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 yeah, absolutely. They've been persuaded that down is the direction in which you fall. And so, Mm. down they go. It's a pretty literal cliffhanger, particularly because until the last moments of the previous book, Rinsman was hanging onto the edge of the cliff,
3: Mm.
1: (laughs) um, talking to death. But the action quickly moves away from there, though, uh, once that's set up. And we go to everyone's favorite institute of magical learning, the Unseen University.
0: Oh, and this is a bit that, because Joel has read these two, like the name Weatherwax, I don't know, would mean much to you. Whereas I was, like, delighted to come across it because it's a character later who has the same last name and it's kind of just, like, a cool magical lineage.
2: Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I did not pick it at all.
0: No, because, like, how could you possibly? Because, like, it's in a subsequent book, so it's, yeah. like, I came into it the other way around. Mm. So, yeah. It's just, yeah. And so I'd flag that for future yeah. people reading in the correct order, like, like Joel is.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I as we've discussed, I originally read the books in order. And mm. uh, so, I I did read this before I read Equal Rights or any of the uh, subsequent uh, books that feature the other Weatherwax, and um, it feels weird calling her the other Weatherwax.
0: Yeah, no, she's the primary Weatherwax. This is the other Weatherwax. This is the weather other Weatherwax. Weather weather
1: yeah. <laughs> um, we'll come back to that. There was We got a question about this on Twitter.
0: Was it a pressing question? No. No. Oh, sorry, that was a bit heavy. <laughs> yeah. No.
1: No, it was a fine question. But yes, we do meet the the current. He's only described as a chancellor, I think, in this book. Um, yeah, they're a bit yeah.
0: weird. Like it's an order; it's not quite like a the university that I, I thought it was. So it's like a very different. Yeah, kind of well, thing.
1: They, they have this because they introduced this idea in the original book that there's like eight orders of wizardry and there's eight levels of wizard. It's very Dungeons and Dragonsy. I'm sure I said this in in our Color of Magic episode, but yeah, it's it feels. Because there's somebody at one point is described as an 8th level wizard. And I'm like, what? But that's the (laughs) highest level. His full title is uh, Galda Weatherwax, Supreme Grand Conjurer of the Order of the Silver Star, Lord Imperial of the Sacred Staff, 8th level Epissimus, and 304th Chancellor of Unseen University. And, uh, I mean, that's that's a good title. But I think it's interesting he hasn't yet thrown the arch in there. There's no Mm. arch-chancellor. But there is quite a reorganisation of the upper echelons of the university staff by the end of the book. So, I guess it's a bit of a free-for-all. And by the time we come back to the university, it's, I think, a reasonably significant amount of time later. Mm. Um, It's a bit hard to tell with the books. But anyway, I quite enjoy this version of the university, even if it is quite different to the one we get later. Because here, again, like is in The Color of Magic, it's very... Here are these eight orders of wizards, they're all fighting each other for be the top dog, murdering each other to go up the ranks. It's really not at all what it becomes later.
0: Yeah, it's a very different vibe. I do like how he is described, and I'm not sure if it's just me not going along with what they've said, or if I remember correctly, but I can't stop imagining him as one of those like guys from a nursery rhyme who's like wearing... But long pyjamas with a hat, with a candlestick jumping over a thing, you know.
1: Well, that is how he... I mean, because when yeah. he first turns up, he's in his red nightshirt with the hand-embroidered mystic runes and his long cap with the bobble on, even with the wee-willy-winky candlestick in his hand. Yeah. So it's like... But even even dressed like that, it says he is still impressive. He's uh, tough.
0: He's a tough guy. Yeah. You have to be to get to that level of wizardry, as as he demonstrates subsequently.
1: Yes. Yes, I feel it's. I feel what happens to him is quite unfair. But we're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, there is commotion at the university because deep in the bowels, underneath the library, in a secret room, warded against all magics, is kept the most magical book of all, the Octavo. Even more magical than the other books, the Necrotelecomnicon uh, amongst them. I, l- I love that joke every time.
2: Yeah, same.
1: And yeah. He, he reuses it many times, but I I it He knows like it it's good. Yep. And the book of going forth around 11-ish. There's some good, good book gags in this. But anyway, yes, the, the most magical book is The Octavo, the book that contains the eight spells that created the universe left behind by the creator. And it's doing something. And as we know from the previous book, Rincewind, the wizard, is so bad at magic, partly because on a dare, he went into this room and read the book, and one of the spells got into his head, and now no other spells will go in there because it's one of the most powerful spells in existence. And this, again, feels very Dungeons and Dragons-y, the whole idea of having to memorize a spell, and then when you say it, it leaves your head. It's, it's very much how the early editions worked, and all based on one of those books, the Jack Vance books dying earth or whatever it's, they're called oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. it's very it's, it all feels very familiar but not familiar. it's it, kind
0: of like when you get the state swim jingle stuck in your head and you can't hear any other music until it goes away <laughs> the, the witch jingle <laughs> this is state swim like learn how to swim at yeah, state swim yeah, yeah. oh I, well, i'm not gonna sing it i did not no. grow up
1: in victoria so this is, this well, is neither
0: did i not one yeah. I
1: oh is it an adelaide thing <laughs>
2: it's a jingle, yeah.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: We'll find it and you will hate us for it. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but this is where the Octavo is unleashing some of its power in a very worrying way. Chucking
0: a snit is what it's doing. <laughs> it's like, hey, someone threw my toys off the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's getting grumpy and it's like, look, remember me? I'm that powerful book. You, you forgot about me and all those things are going to happen and you should... Really be on the ball and anyway I'm going to d- do stuff to the librarian.
2: Yeah. Now I'm going to freak out. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This whole blast of magical energy goes up through the roof, starts transforming things in its wake, and then turns into a spell that lays itself on the entire disc world, mm-hmm. which the wizards realize is a change spell, but they don't know what's changed. But on the way, it changes several other things, including turning some... Furniture into creatures and a librarian into an orangutan.
0: (laughs) Mm. It's a very different personality to begin with that for later, but maybe he gets more orangutan-y over time.
1: Yes. Joel, you may not believe this, but that orangutan becomes quite an important character. (laughs) Why do I believe this instantly?
0: (laughs) We see our first ook. It is delightful.
1: yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten that we actually did get to see it. I sort of vaguely knew, but it feels a little bit, in some ways, anticlimactic. Like, it just sort of happens, and then it's done. Whereas, you know, not coming at this from the opposite end, where we know the significance of this character, yeah, you kind of expect more to be made of it. Whereas it's just sort of an offhand, oh, that orangutan looks a bit like the librarian.
0: <laughs> and I kind of love that it's just a throwaway thing, and kind of just like like, not everything has to be a big deal. It doesn't need a big origin story. It's like, you know... Joker can just have a weird face, but that's fine. (laughs) You don't have to write a comic book where there's like seven different versions of how it happened, even though it's a great comic book. But, you know, yeah.
1: Fair enough. We see a few things here. We get a taste of Pratchett's scientific attitude towards magic, when in order to try and get a good look at what the spell's doing, uh, Galda Weatherwax uses a spell to topple a stone off the top of the Tower of Art in order to give himself a counterweight to float up to the top. Which I thought was quite good, but then I'm like, but how did he make the stone fall without a? Like, there's, I feel like there's some questions unanswered there. It doesn't quite (laughs) make sense, but I I still enjoyed it. We also meet his second in command, Trimon. Mm. Do you reckon it's,
0: okay, so do you reckon it's Trimon like Simon or Try him on? Like, you know, he's (laughs) trying him (laughs) on. That's, That's what, what I was question. wondering as I read it. Uh, <laughs> like Trimon says, or,
1: yeah. <laughs> I was saying Trimon in my head, and he's Same. got a great first name yep. as well. Umper, I guess, with uh. A a but I I don't know. It's oh. You don't get a great description of him at the start, except that he's somebody to watch out for. Um,
0: he loves post-it notes, basically, is what they're saying.
1: <laughs> yeah. Two of you. Hey, hey. Uh, I, rese- <laughs> I resemble that remark. Um, yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm literally staring at my wall of post-it notes right now, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I have I'm some, including of, myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have some of my walls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, what do we feel about the, the wizards? Like they're much more involved in this book than they were in the last one. Uh, we sort of very briefly meet a few wizards in the first book, and then we kind of leave them behind and go off and have other adventures. Whereas in this one, they are big drivers of the plot. Mm. Um, Well, not drivers of the pot, but they're very, they're they're kind of, the antagonists are all wizards, basically.
0: This feels like the my day of back in my day. Yeah. That would come later, like where they're actually like doing stuff and they probably don't care as much about meals and things. Like they're all a bit cowardly still. Like there's Mm. that thing where they're all racing to be the last one up the stairs and stuff. But it's a very different vibe. Hmm. It also seems like a bigger book than the first one, yeah? Like, the first mm. one felt
2: like a more contained sword and sorcery, let's follow these characters on the road. Whereas in this one we set up from the start that the turtle's going somewhere, right? Like, it's going to do a thing. So, like, you need big forces, I guess. So, when mm. we saw the wizards, I was like, uh, oh, we're going epic fantasy now, was my, my first instinct. That sort of shifts a little bit, but yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a weird sort of mix of different fantasy genres i find Mm. like it's clearly i think it still feels to me it's got mostly that sort of sword and sorcery kind of tone but then there's a bunch of stuff thrown in that's like oh there's some fairy tale stuff and there's wizards are a bit more like high fantasy wizards and yeah
2: and the sword and sorcery definitely comes from a few
1: characters and one character in particular but yeah yeah. (laughs) yes that's true we'll get to that i guess yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, but I think partly it feels bigger because it's one long plot, whereas yeah. The Color of Magic is kind of four short plots.
3: Mm.
2: Like you, an anthology. If yeah, you,
1: If you call them plots, I suppose they're, they're, they're more like situations.
2: Yeah, they're like, uh, like the <laughs> Conan Vignettes. stories, right? The man in the hole situation of like, this is a problem. And then like, how is Conan going to get out of the hole? Um, yeah. Usually in a very dated way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, we're going to come back to him. No doubt. Oh. oh, yes. Even though the wizards don't figure it out, we do find out what has changed on the disc, which is that Two Flower and the Luggage and the Spaceship and Rincewind have all been moved from off the edge to on the disc. And uh, I, I was kind of wondering, like, you know, you wouldn't have to cast a spell over the whole disc unless you were moving the whole disc. So, I kind of felt more like it was repositioning the turtle underneath them rather than yeah. the other way around.
0: Yeah. Well that explains also later when the stone circle is slightly out of the like the things in the wrong spot.
3: Mm. Because
0: like, the moon shines onto the wrong spot, but they've calculated very carefully, and it makes a joke about it being a computer thing, but that would line up with the disc having moved.
1: Yeah. I didn't even put that together, yeah. There you go. Yeah, and then on top of that you've got the influence of the red star, which is going to appear yes. very very soon in the plot. That's cool. It's not the sort of thing modern computers have to worry about. <laughs>
0: You know? the, I mean, I guess the main thing we should be talking about is the friendly trees, which is one of my favourite things about this book. <laughs> never
1: explained either. They no, they yeah. never... Yeah. The Forest of Scund, it turns out, just has trees that can talk. I kept thinking, oh, they're going to be like sapient pearwood trees.
2: Yeah, but I they're thought not. That too. I thought anything was going to come of it. My bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really just a just an excuse for one of the most... <laughs> Look, okay. I've got
0: acorns if you need. How,
1: how do you feel about the timber pun, Liz?
0: <laughs> oh, remind me. There was quite a lot of good stuff in this yeah. one. I uh,
1: let me see. Where where is it? It's um, the, it comes up a couple of times where the trees speak, and it doesn't say who's speaking, but then it does say along the lines of uh, a voice that it could only be said possessed timber.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's later on when one of the wizards (laughs) (laughs) talk to them. Yeah. But it's... Oh, dear. Yeah. It's the section where
2: the the trees are constantly responding with ant trees. Um, Mm.
0: Yeah. And just they're friendly, like it's described, like a friendly voice and stuff. It's just like, yeah, it's great. And they they want to know, like, what it's like to... What's joinery like to happen to you? to the luggage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like an angel has appeared amongst them.
1: (laughs) You know, one of the chosen. (laughs)
2: But no one seems to notice them, is the, the worst thing about it all. one oh, seems to just
0: move uh,
1: on with their day. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit rough, isn't it? Yeah.
0: But Oof. they don't seem to mind that much, which is just, it's just pleasant.
1: Yeah. One of the things I started making notes about is there's a lot of stuff that turns up, often as just a throwaway gag in this book that Pratchett returns to later on in, in later Ends books. Ends
2: up paying off, yeah.
1: And, well, even just, he just uses it again, but develops mm. it much more. And some of it is even just reusing names or ideas without really calling back too much to the original. And uh, we get quite a few of them in this section of the Mm. book. So there's mention of a tooth fairy and how creepy an idea that is. Like that comes back in a major way in one of the later books. Particularly Rincewind's thought that, you know, he immediately imagines a fairy like living in a castle made of teeth. (laughs) Uh, Pretty good. Um, That does come back in another book. And then there's- we meet the gnome, who lives in a very smurfy toadstool house, Mm -hmm. whose name is Swires. And this is a name and a character who, in a very different form, will return in a more significant way in later books as well. But not for many, many years. Like, some of these things Pratchett leaves on the shelf for a good decade or more.
2: Yeah, it's like the primordial soup of the universe. I guess the first two books, right? Like, you just like- (laughs) comes back a way long time later it's like yeah let's do this
3: yeah
0: i kind of love like the thing that we see about two flower again is when he sees the gnome he's all disappointed that it's not like from the books and mm. that's just a thing that comes up and up again that he has a certain expectation he's a of tourist yeah. yeah yeah exactly this lonely planet didn't say that yeah. it's gonna look all grumpy and dirty
1: <laughs> yeah there's some really nice lines later in the book, too, between Rinswin and another character and then later on just Rinswin thinking to himself about the way that Two Flowers sees the world. And I, I think mm. it's really lovely because it could come across as very cynical and, and as a big put down, but actually it's kind of affectionate the way that they think about it in the end. And I mm. I kind of love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and Cohen loves it, too.
1: Yes, he does. Yeah. I love that line. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get to it. In the Forest of skuns, they're just sort of like, what are we going to do? It's raining. There's weird people around here because they do meet a druid who is who's high. Let's just call it what yeah. he is. Uh, yeah. He's on a vision quest, but that just means he's eaten the sacred mushrooms. And he's a bit like, who are these guys? But doesn't really take too much notice of them. And uh, the gnome, Swires, helps them find some human-sized, or what does he call it? I think he uses the word bigger. Which is an interesting. Again, this is something Pratchett revisits. He loves writing about tiny people, doesn't he? Like he's done it so many times. There's the carpet people. There's the gnome here. There's the gnomes of the Trucker's books. There's the Nacmac Vigor who call human-sized people big jobs. Yeah. Uh, whereas here it's bigger. So I can't yeah. Think. The
0: bigger and the other bigger.
1: Yeah, that was nice. But they it leads them to an abandoned gingerbread cottage. Something else that Pratchett will come back mm-hmm. to in later books. This feels like the first book. This is like a weird, fun romp through some weird fantasy stuff.
2: Yeah, there's some there's some heavy pastiching going along uh, <laughs> here. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and it taps into so many of my own feelings about the Gingerbread Cottage because yuck.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was always weirded out by that. I don't know. Yeah,
0: he says something about it being self-replenishing, but it's just it's a yucky thought. You don't Yeah. To...
2: Also, if it gets hot,
0: yeah. And the idea of all the animals around that have like dental problems because they've been gnawing on the outside. <laughs> so they leave it alone now. They're like, well don't 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 go there I've learned. Yeah. And it has so many great gags. Like I, I think my favorite one
1: is when, when they're gonna go to bed and rinse wind, goes, Someone's been eating my bed like <laughs> 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 the mashup of the lines from
2: Yeah, like Goldie candy L- floss uh, um <laughs> mat was just yeah. It's oh, upsetting. It just made did me a upset. Piece it,
0: is,
1: just, it is a bit yeah. upsetting. Yeah.
0: You've made my teeth hurt reading that. I mean, it's a book that makes your teeth hurt, isn't it? Mm. Like, it really makes that's you There's a lot of, of dentistry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. Of dentistry. I wonder
1: if Pratchett had been going through any dental issues <laughs> at the time.
0: <laughs> that's two and a half years. Like, there's plenty of visits to the dentist possibly there. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Or not. And then one suddenly, and then this book, basically. Yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah we've all had that one trip to yeah. the dentist, haven't we? Where they're mm. like,
2: you haven't been in too long a time. Yeah. <laughs> And they keep saying it, yeah, the entire time.
0: Yeah. I'm like, you do drink a lot of tea. And I'm like, of course, I just. what do you want me to do? <laughs> not drink tea? Yeah. Yeah, what is this? Just just fix it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why do you think I'm here? <laughs> uh,
1: but anyway, they're having this great time, making lots of jokes, finding lots of weird things. Meanwhile, the wizards have not been able to figure out what's going on. And Golden Weatherwax decides, right, for the first time in the books, but not the last by a long shot... The Wizards of Unseen University Mm -hmm. perform the Rite of Ashkente (laughs) uh, in order to summon death. And this is... Look, I think of all the things in the book that feel not quite right, death is the big one. Mm. He just does not feel like the death we know and love from the later books. Which isn't to say he's not entertaining. But I think... And I know we haven't talked much about this and I'll be interested to see when we do... Your thoughts on this, Liz, and maybe yours too, Joel, later on mm. down the track. But the recent The Watch TV show has a death in it who I think is much more like the death in this book than hmm. the one in later books in terms of his attitude and the way that he speaks. But it is very funny when death shows up and he's like, I was at a party
0: <laughs> they have the whole like harrowing description of like the hollow eyes and the hand like the boned hand around a scythe and in the other hand there was like a cheese on a toothpick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's done very well
1: oh it's so good it's so good
0: and how he's just like hurry up don't say all the stuff i can get it yeah i get it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they keep going yeah there's a constant thing in this book where you know there's all the ceremony and pomp of traditional sort of sorcery and magic which just gets continually punctured by everybody at every turn. Poor old Golda's trying to say, you know, I command this by Asmeroth. And like, shut up. Just get on with yeah.
0: it. Well, he's been told he's very good at it and very commanding. Very
1: <laughs> mm. Although I do like by the end of it, he's just sort of slipping a little bit in and then getting on with the conversation. <laughs> Which, mm. is, which is quite fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. Great. Great stuff. Weird, but great. We'll come back to death, I think, because, you know, here, basically, he's a bit miffed at being summoned and quite businesslike. And he's like, what do you want? Okay, sure. I mean, I say that. He doesn't- He's still written in all caps, his dialogue. Mm. So, it's more like, um, all right, you've made your point. I can't do it. It's You know, I, I'd have to put a reverb on it and so it yeah. would sound something mm. like,
0: all right, you've made your point.
1: What precisely was it you wished to know? You know, that sort of... And he still Hmm. doesn't speak in contractions.
0: The weird thing is that Ben didn't put a reverb on that. He just managed to do that with his voice.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was uncanny. It just switched on. It's crazy. ah. Thanks
1: thanks for noticing, folks. Uh, I tried real (laughs) hard on that one. (laughs) Just invented a cavern behind him. It's Ah, crazy.
0: Yeah, Spoopy. Uh,
1: It was. Yeah, they, they get the notice from him that what the magic has done is adjust reality so that Rincewind and Two Flower have not fallen off the edge because the Octavo doesn't want to lose one of its spells, because they all have to be said before a certain time, otherwise the world is going to end.
0: Why'd they have to save Two Flower then? Why couldn't they just save Rincewind? Or is he just caught up in it?
1: Well, I have a feeling it's hard to know because Rincewind's not on the spaceship. He's still falling towards it and they don't end up in the same place. But I get the feeling that they know that the luggage and two flour are essential for Rincewind's survival. So, okay. just like they kind of hid in Rincewind's brain because they knew he was the right person, I feel like they know the part the others play uh, in All keeping right. him alive and helping him. The fellowship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Exactly. You've got my luggage. <laughs> Oh, yes. And my dentures. And my dentures. <laughs> <laughs> and my uh,
1: scrap of clothing. We'll come back to that, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, death goes back to his party. Delightful. Very good. After Which is this implied
0: to be a masquerade ball. And he's like, it's going to get weird after midnight when they <laughs> take my mask off. <laughs> yeah.
1: I also like that, you know, the, the reason he knows this is there's a prophecy on the inside of the Pyramid of Sort. And Trimon has been listening in on this meeting, and immediately goes to the library and bribes the librarian with a banana he's already he's really onto it he's like, "Oh, you're an orangutan, okay, I can deal with this he's not weirded out by it at all mm. which we'll come back to when we get to the questions, I think, but he gets the only book out of the library that explains what's going on inside the pyramid of sort, so he
0: can just like control. an intense mum at school who goes to the <laughs> library and borrows all of the books on behalf of her daughter so that only her daughter has the books needed for the assignment. Wow.
2: That's a very specific anecdote. No. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: has that happened to you, Liz? Yeah. yeah. It to a friend of mine. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay.
1: All right. Uh, yeah. That is intense, though. <laughs> That's
0: great. <laughs> it's like, if you do it, fine, but don't get your mom to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not fine, but it's like less fine when, yeah, it's more generational yeah, sh- conspiracy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The Orders of Wizardry are pretty sure they want to have a hand in this. Even though Death doesn't say this and Trimon only learns it from the book, he learns that the prophecy also says if you're the one who says the spells, you'll get anything your heart desires when you save the world by saying all eight spells together. But all the wizards still think, well, we need to get this guy Rincewind back. And so each of the eight orders secretly sends people to get him. And they send wizards and they basically send like these crack teams of gorilla wizards who who are still a bit crap. They don't really yeah. know what they're doing, but they've got great magical powers, which at least is consistent with the later wizards. Except not all of them send wizards because Galda Weatherwax does not send anybody. He does his own preparations in his wizards workshop, which is super cool. And there's that whole description of him stripped to the waist, like <laughs> yeah. doing getting an anvil and like hammering magic into a line. He's gone to town. Oh. Yeah, it's just so he's good. It's so
0: cool. I want to see it in a film. It would look so epic. I kind of feel like, and this is like an annoying thing for if you haven't read the other books, I'm sorry, Joel, but I feel like he is kind of like a proto veterinary character. Like he's got a lot yeah. of elements of that. So yeah, I think maybe he like. Certain things happened to this carriage and then maybe Pratchett was like, but I liked him. Let's see if we can bring him back in other ways. Yeah, I
1: really liked him, actually. And he doesn't last much longer in the book. Um, slight yeah. spoiler. But I, yeah, <laughs> I particularly <laughs> like the bits where when he's doing his magical business, Trimon's like trying to sneak up on him. But he's like one step ahead of him the whole time. And there's that great line where Tramon says, like, oh, you'd have to get up pretty early in the morning to defeat you. And he says something like, oh, yeah, before breakfast, <laughs> you know, or you'd have to stay up all night.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> so good. And then, yeah, I feel like he just underestimates the forces he's dealing with.
0: Yeah, Luggage. You, just, you can't account for the luggage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. But all the wizards, yeah, turn up trying to get them. They, they fall over each other. They accidentally zap each other. They zap each other on purpose as well. <laughs> Uh, and Two Flower and Rincewind manage to escape By borrowing a broomstick from the witch's cottage Which has handlebars on it <laughs> They fly off on it But Galda does his thing, his magic thing he, he has a bow that he's made with a magical arrow He fires it through a magic mirror And it's supposed to hit Rincewind and bring Rincewind back But he misses and it hits the luggage Because the luggage gets in the way And the luggage is magically transported back Whereupon it eats Galda
0: Weatherwax <laughs> Was like, it eat him? Or does it squish him? I thought it squished him. I look, I my
1: memory was that it squished him, but when I was reading it, it seems pretty clear to me that it appears in the chamber, and then there's like a yep. snap, and it it swallows him. Yeah. Um, okay. As it does, that's, that's better. So many people in this book. It is a murderous, horrible beast.
0: Is that where it gets yeah. its
1: legs? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's got it. I don't know. Um, I still, I still feel the depictions where it's always human legs, like tiny little mm. human legs, <laughs> yeah, are still too weird. It bothers me. Like, yeah. I feel like they should be some other kind of legs. Although Wooden legs. This book does like definitively answer the question of which bit is the front, because it always swivels. It's the bit with the keyhole on the side where it opens up. It always swivels that around to look at people in this book. So, I'm like, okay. I don't know why I thought it was sideways, but-
2: me too. Yeah, I thought it was sideways the whole time because it's like, you know, it's running. It's like an animal, like a dog. It's like less aerodynamic
0: going forward, but yeah.
1: Yeah, that's true. But it, it it makes more sense from a behaves like an animal perspective because then its mouth is at the front. Yeah. Because of mm. the way it
0: hinges open.
2: Um, it's like a frog. Yeah. But- <laughs> also, the most common description of the luggage moving is squatting. Because I don't imagine it can do anything else but squat. You couldn't sit, right?
1: <laughs> no. Because it its, it's just legs squatting. just sort of disappear yeah. when it doesn't need them, it seems. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, although it does, I mean, I think the word unfold is used a couple of times to describe when the legs appear. That just is an upsetting uh, deeply idea. deeply upsetting. Uh, I would love to see some alternate art, though, of someone who draws it without having seen any of the Josh Kirby covers that Mm. feature it. Fury
0: did some good drawings of the luggage, I remember. Oh,
1: yeah, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, the luggage has an illustrious career, Joel, and in the later book, it gets quite glammed up. Um, but we won't we won't spoil it any more than that for you. All right. When you get there yeah. in
0: ten years, according to the yeah no, the outline yeah. of, I'm just <laughs> going to keep going. Yeah,
1: yeah. They they do come out a lot more frequently after this though, so you won't have yeah. to wait so long. So the luggage is captured, uh, and eats the head wizard. Is it? It's the right word. It swallows the head wizard.
2: Swallows. There's no. There's no. Yeah.
1: Consumes him malice. Yeah. There's no malice in it. It just seems to like eating people, even though it doesn't really need food, as far as we can tell.
0: It's just a convenient way to, if you can, you just get rid of people that way. It's a defense mechanism. It? Mm. Yeah.
1: It's very tidy. Yeah. It smells of lavender. Don't leave yeah. corpses lying around all over the place.
0: Yeah, it's just a, it's a handy handy murder method.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we all need one of those. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Maybe he's got a chamber full of pigs.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Or a bath full of acid. Um, No. Or both, depending on who it is. Oh, dear. (laughs) Anyway, Rincewind and Two Flower Escape, but they have a bit of a disagreement about where to go and what to do on the broomstick, or at least who's going to drive. Because Rincewind insists he's going to drive. Which uh, Mm. seems a bit of a stupid idea, because he can't do any magic. And they do manage to go a bit too straight up. I don't know if the broomstick stalls, or if they just uh, run out of magic, or what have you. But then they start falling. Just as they're saying, well, you know, that cloud's not going to help us unless it's full of rocks. (sighs) Uh, It turns out it is full of a rock. A big flat rock, being piloted by a druid. um, A druid computer technician, no less. (laughs) Uh, And he doesn't actually do the pun that I'm pretty sure he does later on in the books where he talks about a 66 megalith stone circle (laughs) instead of like, you know, megahertz. But it still works as a a metaphor.
0: It's a charming bringing in of like, he lived in Wiltshire, right? So it is very nice bringing in of his real life surrounds to his fantasy world. Mm. I'm not sure if he lived there
1: yet when he wrote this book. I'd have to look up the date because he didn't grow up there. He moved there. Um, yeah. to chalk, And I think it was after the Discworld books took off, but he still lived in the area, so he would know about area. those things. Yeah. Or maybe he just was really into it, and that's why, he, that's why he moved there.
0: Everyone's really into wheelchair. It'd be ridiculous if they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. That, Ben's being suspiciously silent. <laughs> no, it's, it's cool. I want to go there. I've there
3: was
2: there. some slight protestations in those sounds, yeah. Hey, yeah. hey,
0: stop reading into things I didn't say. <laughs> my dad used to live in Wiltshire. Are you saying that my dad shouldn't have lived in Wiltshire? What are you saying? <laughs> no, I'm saying that's great that your dad lived in Wiltshire. You yeah. get your dad on the
1: podcast. You would say that. Yeah, yeah
0: you, you could do archaeology on the weekends. That's what you do when you live in Wiltshire. You go outside and do an archaeology. <laughs> well, it's all right there.
1: Yeah, uh, there's like stone circles, megalithic stuff. There's uh, Roman yeah, Stonehenge things. Stonehenge is the
0: shit one. Like, there's much better ones. <laughs> yes. It's the tourist nonsense. Yes. Very exotic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we'll have to go and see the real ones. Uh, but speaking the- of, of better stone circles, that's what the computer is that the druid is flying towards. And they have a bit of a disagreement with Rizwind and uh, Two Flower <laughs> because. They say Culture a few shock. things that seem to cast aspersions on the usefulness of a giant Culture stone shock. computer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not, I mean, for, it's look, this is one of those things where I'm like, surely in Pratchett's mind, he was already thinking druids are going to move with the times. If they're the computer technicians of the disk, when are they going to invent the handheld stone circle? You know, the, the pocket calculator version. What is the iPhone of a megalithic stone circle? Maybe it's like a Newton's cradle but made out of rocks.
0: <laughs> well, something like the ring. Like like you know how you have like watches? That, yeah. Like your smart maybe there's some sort of like stone ring. Uh, oh yeah. 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 That could work. Like
1: a set of bangles or something. Like a bead bracelet. Yeah. Mm. mm. A charm bracelet, but all the charms are tiny little megaliths. <laughs> They're <laughs> microliths. <laughs> Natalie, it's a very impractical bracelet. Yeah. Can
0: you imagine being out at like breakfast and being like, sorry, I'm just getting a call and just like reaching into your pocket, pulling out a bunch of pebbles and just like throwing them onto the table and they <laughs> assemble themselves into a thing and be like, ah, oh, shit, that deadline's moved up. All right, I gotta go. Sorry. And they're like, and your friend's there with their iPhone being like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah.
1: That would be amazing. I want to do that. <laughs> they don't have a tiny pocket one though, so they have to fly to the real one. And yes, this is the bit where there's there's lots of little asides in this book. so many, so so mm. many where Pratchett is just talking directly to us the reader to explain things or make some jokes. Or complain about the way other books are written. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> it's...
1: It's uh... it
0: me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't
1: have Twitter back in 1986, you, you know, know. You just, just
0: have to write a really good novel. Yeah, yeah. The only
1: way you could get thousands of people to read the Those thing is... tweets. Yeah. <laughs> it got retweeted a lot, except they called it sold. <laughs> and there was oh. money attached. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, dear. Actually, I guess retweeting would be quoting it in an article. I don't know. Anyway. It's a footnote. Yeah,
0: Putting it in your email signature.
1: Well, yes. <laughs> we did do those sort of things. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Not in 1986 we didn't, but, you know, 10 years later. Absolutely. But, yeah, there's the side here where he talks about the four forces that control the universe, according to <laughs> yeah. Druids. Very funny. We'll come back to that in the questions section. Um, mm. but this is also the first time when they notice the red star in the sky, uh, it's, it's going to slowly get bigger over the course of the book, but it's not normally there. It's putting people out a bit. They arrive at the circle and Rinswin realizes, uh, as, as you were saying earlier, Liz, that it's the disc having changed in some way mm. that has put out all its calculations And he kind of falls off the edge of the stone where they've landed. And it goes into his own mind. He has his first conversation with the spell from the Octavo. And there's a great sort of description of him as if he's in the book, Mm. standing on the pages. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And I like the idea that the book is just the physical manifestation of something that exists somewhere else. And that's where he actually is.
1: Mm. There's a lot of that sort of metaphysical, metaphorical stuff going on in this book. And it's something that you know, Pratchett doesn't do as much in a lot of the later books. He sort of gets it all out of his system in a way. And he becomes much more concerned with the human stories of the books. Mm. And the kind of magical and metaphysical stuff becomes just a thing to do with jokes. Whereas this book feels like it's like 90% that stuff.
0: It's kind of like he had some like words stuck in his head, stopping other words from getting in. And then he got them all onto a page. And then now he's able to do something <laughs> else. <laughs>
1: Yes. Ah, uh, this book is, is the perfect metaphor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for it's itself. <laughs> a meta metaphor.
1: There we go. Uh, amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> I wasn't ready for this. I've forgotten that the spell basically just tells when the deal. Straight mm. up. Like, there's no mystery in this book, really, except for what's going to happen with the red star at the end. And even then, Rinswin kind of knows what's going on, even though he can't really articulate it because it's the spell, really, that knows in his mind. But, yeah, so there's, there's very little mystery.
0: Yeah, and I thought that was going to be, like, a thing because, you know, the whole trope of if you explain the plan, the plan's going to get messed up. So in a TV show when they're like, all right, the plans are going to go in through the left door and then Steve's going to go over there and Jonathan's going to go over there and they're going to bop that guy in the head. You're like, oh, well, they're all going to get blown up. Like, that's just going <laughs> to... yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas does they like cut away when they're about to explain the plan and it'll probably work.
2: Then you know it's going to work.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah, well, we do. We get a total explanation. And it mostly goes according to plan. It's just that yeah. it's quite dangerous along the way, I guess. But Rinsman's not very happy because the spell basically just tells him, yeah, we need to be said at the right time or the world will be destroyed. But we wanted to keep one of us safe inside your head because we didn't want the wrong person to say us.
0: That's nice. It's like a big vote of confidence. I'd be quite flattered. I'd be annoyed, but I'd be like, well, you know, thank you for believing in me. And, I mean, Rincewind does have that moment. I don't think it's here. I think it's a bit later in the book. It is
1: much later, actually, because it's when he meets up with the senior wizards at the end. But he has that moment where they're telling him he can't do any magic. And he's like, well, I managed to survive with one of the great spells of the Octavo in my head for all this time. And Two Flower does kind of point out that it's obviously helping to keep him alive. But at the same time, mm. he still managed not to go insane with this hugely magical force inside his brain. So he, he does have a little bit of pride about it eventually. But I think at this moment, he's more just miffed and he doesn't want to have much to do with it.
2: And it's not as if the conversation goes the most straightforward way, right? Like the plan is very straightforward, yeah. but they do get a lot of trouble trying to decide yeah. what happened first at the start of the world, which was... To me, be the best part of that whole conversation, right? The clearing of the throat.
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, the best part about this, Joel, and I don't want to spoil this too much for you, but there is a later book where all of those things happen as part of the creation of the Discworld. And I did not clock this until I was reading yeah. some other things written about this book online. It's and I was soup. like, yeah. wait a minute. That's true. All of these things happen in more or less the order that they suggest them. Uh, So they're all correct. (laughs) It was was very silly. The booking question is Eric, which we discussed in Pratchett 7 with Georgina Chatterton. But the things don't actually happen in the same order suggested by the spells. As noted in the annotated Pratchett file, the creator first creates the egg as part of an egg and cress sandwich for Rincewind, then cleared his throat before reading words from the Octavo to create the Discworld. Rincewind then drops his egg and cress sandwich on the beach, creating the primordial slime. The firmament is somewhat of an unknown, since the creator is said to have subcontracted someone else to create that part.
0: Does that mean the hor- like? Okay, so let's go to the horoscope, where they use the horoscope to try and find where Rincewind is. Oh, I love this. Do, all those comes- Because he keeps talking about gherkins, but it like one of the things is, like, a little cucumber will be your good friend, and I was like waiting for that to, to pay off, and- I thought it was going to be the Gherkins, but it's just he mentioned them. So, did I miss something?
1: No, I don't, I don't know.
2: I don't just think like Gherkins, so. yeah.
1: But uh, all yeah. the stuff about don't annoy druids, <laughs> like that is accurate. <laughs> very yeah. accurate. As we find out, although that, that scene where Trimon's trying to find out where Rinswind is by getting a very accurate uh, <laughs> <laughs> astrological <laughs> chart drawn up. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. And all of the different star signs are hilarious. Including mm. the fact that Rinsford himself is born under the small, faint, boring group of stars. Yeah. <laughs> it does get mentioned again later in another book.
0: There's some good stuff about naming, like in, in real life as well. There's been some good tweets going around about, like, the bony ass fish. And it's like someone decided to call it that. And there's, like, a bird that I saw in a bird book called a real bustard. Which, you know. But there's a good thing earlier on in the book about how, like, places are named after misunderstandings. So, like, oh, what fool does not so know that good. that is a mountain like, and that kind of thing. And I love that that's <laughs> sort of based on real life because I looked this up, because I knew this was, like, a kid, Yucatan, Mexico. There's three theories on what it's named for, but, like, one of the most prevailing ones is, like, it means what do you want? Like, it's a misunderstanding. <laughs> like, what's this place called? And the guy responded, what is it you want? Or can I help you? And then that is Yucatan. Now it's called that. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's a few other explanations that... That say it might be something else, but I I choose to believe it's that. That's fantastic.
1: Those stories are very common, and it's often, sadly, very difficult to find out if they're true or not. Mm. Because Mm. the people who get asked for the name often are no longer around to ask whether it really does mean that later on. Mm. um, Which yeah uh particularly here in australia mm. yeah but it's di- uh, sorry i don't mean to bring the mood down but i i think it's one of those things where oh it's a delightful funny anecdote and it's a good gag and then you think <laughs> about it a bit then you
0: think you go, about it oh no yeah <laughs> oh no uh, oh dear yeah, yeah it's it's kind of awful um any exploration comes with a side of horror yes so, yeah. yes
1: and it's something that Pratchett usually does a pretty good line in not glorifying any of that kind of stuff. And it's very sort of footnoty kind of gags. But, yeah, still a bit. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, Mm. let's get back to the delightful, weird comedy fantasy business. Um, (laughs) uh, And it's quite, you know, the other thing is it's quite a long scene where Triman's getting the astrology done. And there's a lot of this in this book where there's quite a long and it's a very funny passage, but really, at the end of it, not much has happened. Mm. <laughs> like, Triman's found out roughly where Rincewind might be, but he doesn't actually use that information. He just hires mm. someone to go and find him, and he obviously doesn't tell her where he is because she's figuring it out when she leaves. So, yeah, a bit weird. But Rincewind gets homesick and I thought this was nice. It's the first time we've seen him sort of go, no, oh, I just want to be back and eat more pork with all the gross smells and horrible food and nice food and other horrible food. But Gherkins, yeah. it's also a bit yeah. sad because he like relates this sort of story and it's revealed that he doesn't really have a home. He's just sort of sleeping in haylofts and um, <laughs> stables and stuff. And you're like, oh, that's. It's a bit rough. I mean, we knew he was living a bit of a weird existence because he was just sort of living off what money he could make translating things for people because he has this gift for languages. But I don't think, yeah, we realized he doesn't actually have somewhere to live. Yeah. It's a bit rough. But he still wants to go back there. And Two Flower, to Rince Wind Surprise, is like, okay, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> uh, but then the druids are getting ready to do whatever it is they're doing. And as uh, a young uh, woman comes <laughs> out, um, wearing ceremonial dress.
0: Oh, is she a druidess? Ah, oh, that's, that's uh, yeah. I don't. I don't think so. Uh,
1: I don't think so. And as soon as uh, Ridswood explains, no, they're going to sacrifice her. Two flowers. <laughs> this is the description of when he goes up and says, "Excuse me." <laughs> you could just see it in your head. Oh, he's very Have fine. you thought about using nuts and berries? Like, I think this can work really well. And Rinswin keeps saying things to him like, please do not talk about ethnic folkways. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> like- and he says both of them in the one sentence at one point. Like He's like, when he says these two things, it's uh, pretty bad. And then the next sentence, it's just, yeah. yeah.
1: Luckily, though, for them, someone else has been watching and waiting for a chance to do something. <laughs> Uh, someone who's introduced in a brief passage that doesn't really tell us who he is earlier on shows up. And it is none other than one Cohen the Barbarian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he loves toilet paper. Yeah. Good
2: dentistry.
1: Yeah. yeah. What a great character. And he does come back later on. You'll be pleased to know Joel. But this this is his first big... Well, his first appearance at all. I think he might get name-checked in The Color of Magic from, from memory. Mm. But, yeah, he... Wow, he really makes an impression in this book. It's
2: it's <laughs> funny because in the in the Color of Magic I was like, Oh, so this is why Ben and Liz called me along because of her and the barbarian. And I was like, Oh, okay, this is great. You know, this is right up my alley. Then I get to this book and I was like, Oh, this <laughs> is why they called me along <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of him? He's fantastic, right? Like he's just uh the first description that we get of him. And the hordes of the, you know, what is best in life, Conan. You know that line. <laughs> <laughs> and the reveal—it's, you know, I think that sets you up. And I remember reading that that whole scene. I just started laughing, and I was like, of course, of course, there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah.
1: And I mean, it's just when you think about it, you're like, yeah, well, who's going to kill Conan? <laughs>
2: Like yeah, <laughs> nobody. At some point, yeah, he's just gonna get old and have dental problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah, so good. Uh, but he shows up and assists in uh, slaughtering a bunch of druids <laughs> and taking their stuff. Uh, in the in a true Dungeons and Dragons tradition, killing just people and taking their stuff, and taking their stuff, yeah, uh, including their sacrifice. Who? <laughs> Whose name is Bethan. We do meet her. She does have a name and she is not pleased. I think what's her direct line is something like, well, there's 17 years of staying home on a Saturday night down the drain or something
0: like that. I could be drinking with the goddess right now. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, a bit weird, but at the same time, I kind of love Bethan. Mm. She's pretty cool, even if a, a bit tropey, but still pretty good.
0: Mm, I enjoyed her. She had she had a personality. She wasn't just like a walking sack of sacrifice.
1: Yeah, a
2: plot point. She yeah. wasn't a walking plot point. <laughs> yeah,
1: she yeah. actually gets more of a personality, I think, than the actual swordswoman that we meet. I yeah. have a lot to say about her. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll be interested to know what you've got to say. Yeah. But they don't quite get away scot free from the druids. For one thing, sorry. For one thing, Colin puts his back out. So, instead of him yeah. carrying Bethan off, Bethan picks him up <laughs> and slings him over her shoulder. But also, Twoflower has been weirdly affected. And Rinswin thinks something about, oh, maybe it's the druids use horrible, strange poisons. But he also reflects that the kind of people who say that's what druids do also say lots of things about other people. And it reminded me very much of the characters in uh, The Truth, Liz, uh, who are around the table, who would probably say that sort of thing about druids. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know what they say about, you know, those people. Yeah. You're that that L- energy.
1: Living out in nature. It's not healthy. That's what <laughs> they'd say. But yeah, he's very light. He's very easy to pick up. His breathing's all weird, if it's there at all. And Rinswin doesn't really know what's going on with him, so he goes off with Bethan and Cohen
0: For some romance.
1: Yeah. For- <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good pun. Like, seriously. <laughs>
0: Bethan's very excited about the idea of some (laughs) necromancer.
1: We all. We all. But yeah, they do visit a necromancer who reads some (laughs) carrot cards and sees some weird stuff happening in Rincewind's future, but also figures out what's going on with Two Flower, which is that he isn't quite dead. He's just sort of not in his body anymore. And she gives a potion to Rincewind, which sends him off to find him. But meanwhile, we'll figure. Out, we'll come back to where he goes, but this is where we meet our swordswoman. She's been mm. hired by Trimon, who has called all the senior wizards together to say, what have you discovered? And there's some great stuff in there, like some pretty direct parodies of other fantasy where the wizards say, oh, I tried this. And I, there's a great line. It's, I think it's word for word, something from Lord of the Rings, where he says, I've consulted with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And one of the other <laughs> wizards says, any good? And he says, Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's very funny But basically the, the upshot of that scene Is none of the other wizards know where Ryns is And they can't find him because their magic Is not working properly So he just hires a hero to go off and get him uh, And the hero that he hires hero. is Harenna the Hand Harrington, <laughs> Who is introduced with another Aside to the reader about how Such heroes are usually described Joel, what you've got thoughts Please share them yeah. with us
2: I got plenty of thoughts, but I think the funniest, one of the best things in that whole scene of the Wizards was when he said, a hero, in a way that we would say, damn Yankee. And that <laughs> was just... Yeah, it's it sets up the tone of who <laughs> she's going to be. um, And she isn't. You know, she's very much the, like, um, the counterpoint to the classic uh, sword and sorcery, chainmail, bikini, you know, idea that we get out of um, s and But, like, it's funny because the aside is basically her entire character. You know, she, mm. she, she doesn't have much to do in the book, which is a real shame because I really wanted to see more of her. But she's just sort of there to sort of, you know, Pratchett's be like, this is what the other books do, which is funny, but that's kind of all she does. And it is funny, right? Like, every time she does show up, there is him poking fun and, you know, and I suppose lovable fun, right? It's not an antagonistic critique on those books. It's more like, isn't it a bit silly? Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting.
0: The main thing we get is like, but she was too big to be a thief, too honest to be an assassin, too intelligent to be a wife, and too proud to enter the only other female profession generally available. And so she'd become a swordswoman, and had been a good one, amassing a modest fortune that she was carefully husbanding for a future that she hadn't quite worked out yet, but which would certainly include a bidet if she had anything to say about it. (laughs) And that kind of is it, her in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah
1: interestingly she does not appear in the graphic novel uh, adaptation oh. they kind of cut her character out because they really they cut this bit of the book a bit shorter because we do have mm. a situation here where you know some of them and we'll get to this in a second but some of them get captured then they escape then they get captured again and they kind of reduce that down to one sort of incident um and so mm. they remove this sort of supporting character because they're like well she doesn't really do anything so there's not really much point mm. in us trying to make her work in the book um so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a shame. And it's also, I mean, there's the line where he says when most fantasy authors are describing a yes. character like this, they're kind of looking <laughs> over their shoulder at the cover artist and he describes how she's not wearing a chainmail bikini. As you say, like she's yeah. wearing very reasonable leather armor. Yeah.
2: And then mm. you look
1: at the cover of
2: the book. Oh no. Oh, uh, So, this is what I did, too, and I didn't recognize who that was. So, is it her?
0: Well... I have a different cover,
2: so I'm going to have to
1: see yours. Look, I think probably it isn't. I think probably that would be... Bethan? Bethan, because Ooh, otherwise, why Bethan. would she be riding on the luggage? But
0: she's got red hair.
1: But she does have red hair, and she does have weapons, which Bethan does not and have. And a sword, and it, yeah. So, hmm.
0: it's a bit... Bethan has a branch.
1: Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a bit of a... Mm. That's not really any character in the book, really. it's,
0: yeah, it's, it's Really. Yeah, like, it's just okay. All Curry the women in, as one character. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, because he often does draw... The weird thing about Kirby is he clearly has read the book, but also it often seems like he clearly has not understood the book. Because there's lots <laughs> of stuff that's from the book, and even some of it is quite small details. Mm. Like the fact that he, again, draws two flower with literally four eyes. Even though that joke is not made in this book. It's only in the previous one. Yeah. And in this book, he actually expressly says he's wearing spectacles. But, yeah, he just doesn't... I don't know. It's so weird. It's just so mm. weird. But, cause, I mean, and she's got... Yeah, she's got red hair. She's got weaponry. It, it seems it seems fairly clear that you would think that was Serena. But at the same time, why is she hanging not. out with the others? And he's yeah. also drawn... And we'll come to him later. Lacture the Dwarf. <laughs> And you're like, he's, he's why? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, do. I love him, but
0: it, 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 why is he there? He's so why respectful a character
1: yeah. in some ways. I don't know.
0: Just the joy of drawing different characters, maybe? He's just like, well, who would look good together?
1: Mm. I guess so. Maybe he just really wanted to draw an axe.
0: Yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. we all? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're good fun to draw. the heads off. To try and capture them. She's got a bunch of hired goons with her who she's managed to pick up in Ankh-Morpork. But while she's off trying to figure out where Rincewind might be, Rincewind himself is not on the disc or at least his him is not. He's left his body behind and he is in death's domain. And this is really, I found this probably one of the weirdest parts of the book to read because this is so familiar and yet so not familiar. Mm.
0: Uncanny Valley.
1: Yeah, because Death's Domain shows up in several other books later on, Joel, with Death being the more cuddly, lovely character that we come to mm. to know. And here the description kind of matches what Death's Domain becomes later on. And I sort of vaguely did know that Isabel was in this book. She comes back. She's a very important character in a later book, just a mm. couple of books after this one. But she is nothing like... <laughs> later mm. character here she's like the classic like creepy young creepy
0: woman. like a shining twin
1: yes yeah. yes i was
0: thinking the same thing play with
1: yeah. me yeah and it's just so weird
0: it also implies that like there's like a, a revolving door of just dead people coming through his domain which is absolutely not it yeah. later
1: yeah although i do like which is what he
2: says that he should just install yeah. a revolving door yeah.
1: <laughs> I do like the little touch that when Rincewinds first arrives, there's, like, voices on the wind and it's clearly, like, people's mm. last words. I mm. thought that was really lovely. <laughs> That's, I mean, a bit, like, really creepy, but also I think that probably would still be the case in some parts it's of Beth yeah. even now. I loved
0: it, though. Yeah, it's, just it's so great, good. Yeah. Like, are you sure those are mushrooms that we should be putting in the soup?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was very good.
0: Oh, it's a better view if you just, like... Look over a little bit further. Like it's just, it was so good. Yeah. But I think my weirdest Uncanny Valley thing though was um how his friends kept calling him Mort, which is a whole separate character. Yeah. Later in another book, which has its own like is named after him. So that was real weird to me. So I knew,
2: yeah, I know about that character, and so I thought, wait, is this the same character? Are they the same
0: person? Does he become Death? Yeah.
2: So I was a bit confused.
0: I mean, there's a bit of tr- wait till you get to it. In was okay. it like seven okay. months? So just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll like give
1: it that. seven months. Yep, yeah. I'll put it. It's actually calendar. a fan theory that the death that we see, at least in the Color of Magic, maybe not so much in Light Fantastic, is not actually death. It's like somebody subbing in for him. I think I mentioned this in our Color of Magic episode, and that kind of mm. makes sense in the Color of Magic. Even here, it would kind of make sense, except that Isabella's is here, and that doesn't quite gel with
0: that theory. What about? If the octavo shifting things a little bit, then after the events at the end, things go back to how they were before. So maybe it's mm-hmm. like everything's just a little bit wrong and then it goes back to normal afterwards. Oh, you know, the other thing
1: is there is that idea that at the end of the book, because greater Chewin is so happy with how things have turned out, his feelings wash over the disc and sort of make everyone mellow out and feel a bit nicer. I wonder oh, yeah. that that could also be an explanation, I suppose.
0: Could he do that now, maybe?
1: <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it?
0: As a treat? Just swim past. I think we've the earned earth.
1: It. That'd be great. <laughs> uh but I, I think realistically, you know, it's just that we need to sort of retcon this in our heads and just go, all right, we know how he's written in this book, but really if it's the same character, we imagine the version that this scene would mm. have. And you can see like if they do make the kind of more I hesitate to use the word faithful, but that's sort of how they've described it with the Narrativia, the company that owns all the rights for the Discworld, have said they've got now this exclusive deal with only one company who will be allowed to make television productions based on the books and they want to make them quite faithful to the original vision. And I think this is the sort of thing where if you were doing that, if you were making a TV series and you were kind of starting at the start, you would reimagine quite a few things to make it all gel together a bit better. And I think one of those things is you would change the tone of these scenes with death and isabel to match what we get later on and it wouldn't ruin the book i think it would probably make it fine i think Rincewind would still find it super creepy um and death yeah. could still be a bit cheeky he'd just be a bit warmer i think and a bit more sympathetic than how he's presented in this book and the previous one where he's quite cold and gross in some ways <laughs>
0: I really kind of like how you don't really, like, get when someone's joking when they seem like an authority figure to you for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. if you've ever had, like, yeah. like, as a kid, like, if you met your friend's parents and you realized years later that they're actually, like, really funny, but at the time because they're scary parents, like, you're just like, oh, nothing is a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So, it could be, like, through his lens, this is how they seem, but it's not actually what they're like.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that kind of also gels in with what they have to say about Two Flower, particularly because when we find Two Flower, he's teaching Death and the other <laughs> horsemen of the apocalypse to play bridge. Uh, not that he calls it that. I Look, I've got to say the one joke that I didn't like in this book, because it just felt so laboured, was when Two is trying to find a name for the card game that he's teaching them, but he doesn't know the name in the language that he shares with Rincewind, so he just says... Oh, you know, it's like a thing that you build over water and then <laughs> Rispin guesses everything except bridge. I'm like, that's the most obvious one. Like I don't <laughs> understand this joke is going nowhere. Anyway, yeah, I, no, but, but, sorry,
0: but I thought you were gonna say the very good joke and I was gonna be disappointed about the one where like after all, all of it's played out of Death's like, I guess we've got time for another fondle and <laughs> and his friend's like, I think you mean a rubber? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, very silly.
0: This is a dirty book by the way. He meant not, <laughs> it's like it's quite explicit in some ways. Like it swears, it actually yeah. talks about like Rentown having done a boning in the past which I was like whoa mm. I'm not expecting that. Mm. It's a
1: cheeky book. Yeah, it's yeah. cheeky. It is.
0: And look, you know we've I tell, seen i sound like a 1950s like housewife being like, "Oh, it's a bit cheeky." Like <laughs> It's a bit. I mean, we've seen <laughs> going to have a tipple and, and giggle at the dirty book, but like, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's usually I mean,
1: he does look, we'll come back to this because it is one of the questions we've been sent in, but it does okay. it does seem a bit at times the most explicit of the books. Um <laughs> yeah. It, that was a bit of a shock yeah but anyway they uh, they do escape they manage to run away while the other participants in the having game having a fondle. are having a fondle <laughs> yes <laughs> and the luggage is there it's, it's managed to find its way into death's domain as Rincewind has and they both grab two flower and they jump off a cliff which leads them to go back to their bodies although kind of via another run in with the spell inside Rincewind's mind who he's now getting quite annoyed with
0: Oh, I have a question though. So, um, Two Flower gets a picture as they're leaving, oh, yes. and then later, Two Flower never gets to see it because sort of takes it from him. And it's like him and the luggage that look at it, isn't it? And it's no, it's him and the imp, yeah, and, and the luggage. They talk about how it doesn't reflect what he saw. So, I, what do you think was in that picture?
1: Oh wow, yeah,
0: it's because it was a picture of the clock. Hmm. Hmm. And it was all very quaint for him. Um. But the imp's like, I just paint what is actually there. I'm trained to do it. I see true reality, whereas you saw something else entirely. But this is what it actually was. But, I mean, I guess it being unsaid makes it more horrifying.
1: Mm. Yeah, and it does gel with even the descriptions in Mort, where the house's internal dimensions don't quite match the outside, but even on the inside, they're not quite right. From a certain perspective, there's miles between the middle of the room and the door. But then there's actually just the bit of the room in the middle and death is never quite sure how people come in the door and just arrive at the bit in the middle of the room. It's like, you didn't cross Mm. all the intervening spaces. Like, they don't know it's there. They don't behave like it's there. So, it does kind of gel with those descriptions that the version of death's domain that is described to us is Mm. kind of how human minds understand it. And it's not what it really is. Perceived reality. Yeah. But then I think it becomes more real because death is trying to make it more homely. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this, too, and I'm not sure what's on that picture. Something horrendous. Existential dread.
0: Well, I was kind of like, what would it be? Because like, I think it has to be unfathomable, because like, all I could picture mm, was kind yeah. of like, you know, that catacomb full of human bones. And I was like, that's not horrifying. That's just interesting. So, it has to be something that you can't really, yeah, fathom. So
2: It's basically when Lovecraft tries to describe anything. It's like,
0: <laughs> Eldritch, horror, yeah. it's it's Cyclopean. Maybe yeah. they're slimy. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the sea's involved.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, because, I mean, the other thing is, like, the sort of things that come to mind that it could have been pictures of, they're more sort of demonic things. And I'm like, that's not what mm. death's about. He's
0: just death, you know?
1: He's not evil. Yeah, so I don't know. It's a bit bit of a strange one.
0: Something existential. Something mm, that makes you go on. Yeah. There's
1: actually nothing there. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just a void you know what? The other thing it makes me think of is the time knife from that episode of The Good Place, because they they have a similar thing in that where they go to all these sort of extra dimensional places and they look like regular things, but that's just a perception that they put on them so that the human souls who are there can understand them. Uh, the episode is called Cheezy Sees the Time Knife, and the time knife is like time and space folding in on itself over and over and then hammered on a forge until it becomes a blade it doesn't make any sense but uh seeing it nearly drives him mad so it's yeah it made me think of a something weird like that maybe
0: is it like the thing that the master stared into and that's what made him crazy in doctor who <laughs> the untempered schism yeah maybe that's it i can now i'm imagining have to two extra flour. drink because i mentioned doctor who <laughs>
1: you could take two drinks I'm now imagining Two Flower going on a tour with the Doctor and stopping off on Gallifrey to take a photo of the untempered schism. (laughs) this like hole into the vortex of time and space. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yes.
0: He'd be a great companion.
1: He would love it. He would love it. Mm. Oh, now I want... There needs to be a companion who just approaches it like a tourist. Yeah. I guess, well, they've kind of done that a little bit. Bill was a little bit like that on occasion
0: I'm an influencer yeah
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh no
0: no uh, no! that's right tap out it could yep. happen it could happen here's me in new New York oh yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh dear uh, here's me i wearing the new uh, cybertech uh, headphones um, <laughs> hashtag gift yeah that's <laughs> great Uh oh. I'm trying the new adipose diet. Um, it's, oh, it's great. It's order. working really well.
0: Just swipe up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Link in bio. It's really... Oh, it's selling itself. Yeah. But meanwhile, meanwhile <laughs> Rinse Wind and Two Flower do get back to the real world, to Cohen and Bethan, who it seems have a spark between them, like it's happening.
0: Like, I believe it too. Like it yeah. grows, but I believe it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it is it's very in, in its way yeah. quite sweet, but, but yeah. only yeah. if you don't think about it too much. If you don't pay attention too much. <laughs> yeah.
2: Don't look at the specifics. Yeah, no. They
0: do seem to like each other.
2: Don't do the math. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, but I think the gross part is that he seems to like her mostly because of what she can do for him, which is mm. yes. put his back back in and Fixing. massage his yeah. feet. <laughs> <laughs> um and it's not really clear what she sees in him because he doesn't really do anything for her <laughs> so yeah yeah i don't know it's it's a weird one it's like a lot of the romance stuff in any of the early pratchets it feels very sweet but if you think about it in any depth yeah it, it doesn't make any sense
0: and i think there's something that because like it's not just she's been locked up in a virginal like probably den for eight years mm. Like so, I presume she's around eighteen. I assume she was chosen when she was ten. Now she's a woman. She's, blah, 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 she's, she's 16, seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Seventeen. Yeah. yeah. But if it was just like, oh, any man, then she would surely go for either Rincewind or Two Flower because Two Flower also has a lot of money as well. But it yeah. seems to, she seems to genuinely see something in in Cohen. Yeah, and maybe it's because in some ways he is the damsel and she's been the damsel the whole time. Like he is like a hero. And stuff, But, like, they literally kind of meet with her having to carry him off and she fixes yeah. him and she has more, like, power in some ways yeah. there. She's, yeah. she's not the one who needs in that relationship and that's possibly something that she's been seeking for a long time or been missing for a long time. Yeah. A long time as a 17-year-old, but, you know. Mm.
1: But also she does seem to get him. I mean, look, we're making excuses, I think, for a pretty lazy romance plot. But at the same time, yeah. she does seem to get him very quickly. Mm. Mm. How? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> they don't have much
0: in the way of interactions <laughs> or conversations. But... <laughs> they have a lot of off-screen time, though. That's true. We don't know what they get up That's to. There's a lot in of interludes. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Oof.
1: I d- well, I didn't mean that. Anyway, uh, get
0: to the trolls. Yeah, look, rinswin goes <laughs> off in search of some
1: onions. Uh,
0: <laughs> oh my god, my favourite prophecy from this book.
1: Oh yeah, he meets the trolls and they're like, "Yeah, it's an old story that's been handed down. That's when Wizard rinswin comes looking for onions. Point them out to him. <laughs> we've been, <laughs>
0: we've been so, so excited. Blonde. Yeah. Oh. Like, there's just no mystery to it. Yeah, no I poetry.
1: <laughs> they're like, "Oh, there he is. That's him." Uh, but this is also a thing that Pratchett will come back to, is the whole idea of trolls. And even a lot of these troll names get recycled later on. They're clearly not the same characters, but <laughs> these are probably just popular troll names. Mm-hmm. And it, he's more feeling like he needs to misspell them to sell them as names, because like, there's Quartz, but spelt with a K and a W. It was the 80s. But yeah, Breccia, Chrysoprace, and Beryl all, all come back later on. And I think even Jasper, I think there might be a troll called Jasper later on, too.
2: I just imagine it to be like Icelandic society, you know, where, like, all the trolls have to get it approved, get their names for their children approved by the board of trolls, and then they're just like, oh, yes, yes, I think Sigurd is a great name that we'll use for the 300th time. Let's do and that. they have a
1: little app to tell them if they're from the same strata <laughs> or not. Yeah. It's just like, yes, I think it's a quartz. Yeah, let's, let's go with yeah.
0: that. You don't want to be making inbred pebbles.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, this is true.
2: Uh, but they're very philosophical trolls, though. Yeah, yeah. I like they these. They do state that. I like them. Yeah, yeah. they're
1: great. And he, and again, you know, this is that early Pratchett where he puts a lot of thought into some ways in which he might explain how they work and the whole idea of them having veins of impure silicon, which allow them to have thoughts and conduct electrical impulses. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. I love them so much. I'm so glad that he stuck with them and we get more of the trolls later on. Hmm. But yeah, the, while Rincewind's becoming a part of this prophecy, the others all get captured by Herenna and her flack flackies. That's not the right word. And her lackies. Flackies, I
0: like it. We're using it.
1: Oh, no, no. <laughs> now you spoke it over and I can't edit it out. Yes. And, <laughs> and her flunkies, or lackies, flackies. I guess that makes sense. That's where it was coming from. Mm-hmm. But she realises she's pretty smart. I mean, this is the thing. She's got, she's got very little in the way of personality or development, but she's a very capable character. Yeah, she's whipped smart. Who captures them and realizes immediately none of these are a wizard. And she's also captured the luggage, which is no mean feat. Like, I think she's the only one who gets one over on the luggage throughout the whole book. Even Cohen struggles. I mean, he does do it, but it's difficult. But she actually captures it. And she takes them somewhere where they're going to be safe because they can tell that there's trolls on the plane. And they go up to a cave on the nearby mountain and they light a fire to keep the trolls away. And they think this is going to be great. And then the trolls with Rincewind are like, "Uh oh, their friends are up there. They've lit a fire. Uh, you know, old granddad's not going to be too pleased." And like, "Oh, maybe he won't see it." It's like, "No, that's not going to happen. They've lit it in his mouth, <laughs> on his <laughs> he's tongue." An old yeah. giant troll who has become a mountain and is slowly turning into proper stone mountain, but he's not quite there yet. And the fire does piss him off enough that he wakes up. And it's so good. What a great idea. Like, just, yeah. And it does- I mean, this whole scene feels like a riff on, you know, that bit in The Hobbit. Oh, But yeah. it's yep. just taken to all of the logical extremes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Rincewind warns them, and they manage to escape old granddad's mouth. Uh, Cohen and Co also manage to escape, but only by the luggage smashing through one of old granddad's giant diamond teeth. Uh, and then they climb down from above and Rincewind's about to be squashed when the sunlight comes and turns him back into stone and all his new troll friends as well and I did I really enjoyed the description of what it looks like when they turn into stone and the other way around there's that thing that says psychiatry hasn't been invented so Rincewind's never seen an inkblot but it's kind of like where you just stare at something (laughs) until you see something else
0: Mm. and yeah I thought that was really nice. Just a very nicely written sequence. Yeah.
2: It's it's the most sort of, I guess, in that whole bit, outside of Cohen brutally murdering the pack of druids <laughs> and, like, pulling his sword out of their bodies, which is described quite elegantly. I mean, this scene is very, you know, rollicking adventure, sword and sorcery. You know, you got your creatures, you got your band of heroes. You know, it's fantastic. It's, it's, uh, it's just very... Then the pacing is incredible, mm-hmm. right? Like, it turns from, like, a pretty funny but sort of laid-back pace to this sort of action plot, which is great.
0: Yeah. And the exposition is worked in very nicely. So, you know, like 100%. No notes. Good job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's interesting (laughs) that when I got to the end of the book, I was like, well, not a lot happened really. I mean, the main plot was pretty direct and we kind of got there and basically all the other bits were just complications along the way. But at the same time, reading it, I was never bored. Like, there's always Mm. lots of fun stuff happening and there were lots of great jokes and The asides never outstay their welcome. Like, they're only ever a page or two long uh, at the most, and usually they're shorter than that. So, yeah, I I agree. The pace really kind of keeps up, and it never...
2: Mm. In one sense, the plot is in service to the shenanigans, right? Like, the shenanigans are the point, and then the plot just is there.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think... The spine. He he kind of... He really develops his plots through the career and through the series. You know, the plots become more intricate and have mm. more to say and become more clever and, and more interesting. And I think at this point, you know, yeah, you're right. It's there to service the gags. Mm. After they escape, they go looking for the horses and uh, Rincewind convinces Twoflower that they should just leave the two of them. They should just head off and they go and find the horses and they go to leave and Twoflower has an attack of the conscience as he so often does and mm-hmm. he's like, no, we should go back. And eventually the luggage persuades Rincewind that he should go back too. And then cut to two flowers saying, oh, I'm so glad you came back. And Rince was saying, yeah, it's a pity we got immediately captured and tied up.
0: And so it is... And cutting these ropes would be a favourite. Just-
1: <laughs> oh, that bit where he tries to cut it on a rock and he's like, oh, and if I just, you know, put my wrist up here and rub this rock yes exactly just as i thought it lacerates me and does nothing to the rope <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> very funny i mean it's, it. rinse much more he's got a very different character here than he has later on but i think the essential ingredients are all there you know, he's very cynical. Mm. He's just like, everything is always going to be shit. It's <laughs> all like, mm. uh, And he's very genre savvy. Like, he knows the conventions yes. of the world in which he exists.
2: He knows the stories in.
1: Yeah, I think he is definitely the same character. And it makes more so than the other characters who change in later books. I feel like it's easy to see a through line from where he is in this book to where he ends up. Even if there is a bit of a gap there. It's mostly the question mark is where he ends up by the end of this book. Because when we meet him again later on, nothing has gone well for him. (laughs) And you're like, but it seems to be all going so well at the end of the last one. Uh, But yes, they get captured almost immediately. And the luggage sort of follows them along as they head Back towards Ankmore Pork.
0: <laughs> and pops up, like, as a big creepy observer, like, as well. Because, like, it was one of the, the goons has seen what it can do. And they've said, okay, if you come close, we'll we'll kill your guys. So, like, don't. So, he just, like, follows along. And he's, like, at one point, he's open in the middle of the road showing a bunch <laughs> of gold. And they're, like, no, no, go around it. And he's on top of a cliff. And it's just <laughs> it's just a beautiful sequence uh, of this sort of menacing luggage from yeah. a safe distance. Yeah.
1: I like the bit. In, <laughs> it's a horror sequence. He's secret. in a yes. ditch, like, covered in moss. You're, like, what is happening? <laughs>
0: <laughs> How does he have time? To, it's just, it's so good.
1: Oh, yeah. I love that. It's very good. Uh, but when they get to a ferry, it becomes very obvious to us, the reader, that the ferryman is Cohen in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, and Horena <laughs> is suspicious of him but is about to sort of accept his excuses, except Two Flower cannot help himself from laughing and going, This is great, oh he's in disguise. He's just too excited, he's fanboying out. He can't handle it. And yes, the uh, fight breaks out, and it all goes very well until Cohen puts his back out again. And Bethan saves the day by clocking mm-hmm. her, her from behind and then fixing Cohen's back with a well placed heel. Uh, after which, they announce they're going to get married. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> As you do. Uh, As you yep. do. Yeah.
1: But this is then when they, they get to a city, and it's not a named city. We don't know where it is. It doesn't really matter. The idea is it's it's just showing us what the effect on civilization has been now that the star is getting bigger in the sky. And basically, people are leaving the cities in droves. Magic has stopped working properly. And a bunch of people are blaming wizards and anything magical or unnatural for what's happening. Yeah, it's 5G. <laughs> yes, <laughs> It is a little bit alarming, <laughs> <laughs> and they're, all, they're painting like a red star on themselves, and uh, just just harassing people in the streets and protesting, burning books at mm. one
0: point. It's all the classics.
2: It's very Mad Maxy. You know, we've gotten to this like anarchist moment in the book, which I didn't think we'd get there. And we had this, and I'm thinking, what what is going
1: on? Yeah, Go this everything. is interesting. <laughs> and they're not pleased to see the new arrivals Cohen though after a couple of who we haven't mentioned speaks with a lisp for most of the book although every now and then <laughs> he speaks in a line without a lisp which seems very convenient but he mm. he's lost all his teeth because you know he's an 87 year old barbarian and he's had a conversation with Twoflower where Twoflower has revealed that well that's all right like just get some new ones and shown him the egasian invention of the dentures <laughs> Uh, which mm-hmm. Cohen refers to as dinchures, <laughs> yeah, it blows his mind. Dine-chewers yeah. is what I thought it was. Oh right, yeah. Well, yeah. that would make more sense. I don't. I don't think that's how it's spelt in my copy, at least. But it's that, I like that better. And so he goes off to a jeweller because he's had the idea of having some false teeth made out of the bits of troll tooth, so diamond teeth, which is pretty bling. Uh, mm. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. He goes off to get that done at a jeweler, while the others get cornered by a bunch of these red star fanatics, and uh, they kind of get a bit of a respite when Rinswin manages to channel some of the power of the spell out of his fingers, and, like, zaps one of them into nothing, uh, but the rest of them just keep coming, and Rinswin can't really do anything else, because now he's drunk on magical power. Mm. <laughs> uh, and this is where, yes, it gets quite explicit, because he now says he understands why wizards don't go in for sex because the power of magic is so much more amazing. And he knows the difference, apparently.
3: Yeah.
2: This, yeah, this is that part in D&D where they say don't split up the party, mm-hmm. you know. The barbarian goes off to get his teeth fixed and then the rest just blow up the town. Yeah. This is why you don't and do And almost that.
1: get themselves killed. <laughs> yeah. But they get cornered in an alley and they are saved when one of those little magic shops that appears to sell weird things and then disappears afterwards appears in the alley and they go inside it. Uh, But the luggage is once again left behind. Poor old luggage. Mm Hmm. But I mean, as Two Flower says later in the book, not knowing where your luggage is is part of being a tourist. So yes. uh, <laughs> I that, was, that was very fun. Um, but yes, I mean, and meanwhile, Cohen uh, makes friends with the jeweler, who's a dwarf. Although he doesn't refer to himself as a dwarf, he says something like, "I'm of the dwarvish persuasion" or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and he's called Lackjaw. A great name.
0: Could it be because, like, maybe they've amped up interspecies racism as well? So he's not saying I'm a dwarf. He's like, because everything's gone all to hell. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. So he's like, I'm dwarfish. Like, yeah.
0: I thought that was kind of like an effect of mm. like, everything being apocalyptic around him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Could be. And he's made these stenches for Cohen, and then Cohen saves him from the mob, and they run off. But there's a great bit where. Like, Joe says, I thought you were going to try and fight them when they're like all these guys there. And he says, no, bugger that. Let's run away. <laughs> and then he hides behind a wall. And then as they're running, he just sort of sticks his sword out and cuts three of them in half. <laughs> and you're like, wow, <laughs> this is, yeah, this is dirty fighting. I, I like this. It's how you win. It's true. I mean, you don't get to be 87 as a barbarian warrior. <laughs> <laughs> By there, it seems. They find the luggage, but the luggage is just sort of staring at this blank wall, trying to figure out what to do. Um, and there's a. I, this is what the one bit that I thought went on a bit too long was where the dwarf just thinks Cohen is crazy because he thinks this box is alive. And you're like, we know it's alive. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's yeah. a dwarf. He's we've, living in a fantasy world this. where there's a red star yeah. that's just appeared in the sky out of nowhere <laughs> and magic has stopped working. Why does he think this is weird? Uh, and it, it, like, yeah, Rincewind's usually a character who hopes that there's more reasonable explanations for things, even when there isn't an aspect of his character that is pretty much lost in later books. But it sort of extends sometimes to other characters in ways that don't quite make sense to me. Hmm. The luggage is just sitting there, though. It doesn't know how to quite find them because they're in this magic shop. And there's like two or three bits in the book that talk about the magic shop. And I love the concept and I particularly love the extended bit where he talks about some of the theories people have about where these shops come from and how there's like a <laughs> intergalactic <laughs> empire or emporium, as they would have called it, of these shops. Uh, and then he says that they're all wrong. And then uh, as they're inside the shop, the shopkeep kind of reveals that actually what happened was he was really rude to a customer who was the sorcerer. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Twoflower takes it very seriously. And there's that great payoff where he's talking about how... Uh, you know, oh, I, I I did this noise. I went with my tongue, and then and then I said I could order the thing in, and then I said oh yes, and you can come back tomorrow. But it was an early closing day, and he got there just after the, I'd closed the door, and I heard him knocking, and I didn't say anything, and then I laughed. <laughs> he really cursed me to have to sell things forever from one place to another, and too far. I was like, oh, that's awful, and then the payoff is like, you really shouldn't have done that. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> what you did was awful. The sorcerer was right, and yeah, very funny, very funny stuff. <laughs> we only see the magic shop come back one time, I think. It's it's alluded to a few mm. times in passing, but a magic shop only plays a major part in one of the other books. I'm not sure if it's the same shopkeeper. It could be, but it might not be but as well. And there's it is a lot
0: of rude shopkeepers. Well, yes,
1: it's, it is said that there's more than one of them. Basically, he's got a TARDIS, you know. Yeah, but he can't decide. Well, you can sort of decide where it's gonna go, but it seems a bit at random as well.
0: It's kinda of like House Moving Castle.
1: Yes. I know we we could mention it every episode. There's a way.
0: Everything's a little bit like House Moving Castle if you try. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> Meanwhile, though, back at Unseen University, Trimon has convinced the other senior mages to use all their keys to open up the room where the Octavo is kept and unlock it from its pedestal. Because he says, we should say the other spells, like the red star is in the sky. It's getting really, really big now. It's probably time to say the spells. But then he tricks them and locks them all in the room, which is magic proof. So they can't use any of their magic to get out. And magic's not working much anymore at the moment anyway. And he runs off with the book. But the shop then arrives in ankh Pork. The shopkeeper lets them out after giving flower the most beautiful thing he's ever seen the little snow globe. <laughs> oh, is, it a sno- <laughs> Actually, is it a snow globe? It's, it can't be. It's not a snow globe. It's like a, a shell encrusted cigarette case thing. Mm. Yeah, it's like one of those terrible souvenir things that you get. Like I, really tacky. Growing up, you know, on the east coast of Australia, you saw them in all the, in a tourist town. Like you'd see all these things—little yeah. people made out of shells and. Little stuffed cane toads and all kinds of weird, horrible Ugh. things.
0: It's worse when they're made
1: into a wallet. Oh, that is gross. I don't don't want that. Oh. Mm. A
2: cane toad wallet? Yeah.
1: Nobody
0: wants that.
2: Come on. Oh.
0: Yeah, but they can have it. They can buy it in a shop.
2: That's a story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Uh, I feel cursed just knowing. Just yeah, I don't it. know
2: about that. Yeah. Just got the shivers.
1: They decide to get to the university because Rinswin now just wants the spell out of his head. He wants to put it back in the book, be done with it. There's a whole bunch of red star cultists in Ankh-Morpork as well who they kind of run into, but Rincewind's able to sneak them back into the university using a student's secret entrance. I did like that that's something that comes back quite a lot because we do meet a lot of students from the university and they all know how to get in and out any time of the day. <laughs> uh, and in the And the senior faculty never do anything about it, even though they would clearly all know, having been students there before.
2: Students, yeah.
1: Yep. I don't know.
0: Maybe there's a thing, like a thing you go through where they just erase all your student knowledge. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just men and blackhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, they do. They're
0: very disdainful about students.
1: Mm. But then again, the senior faculty do use that exit themselves once or twice in later books. So, I guess that's why they wouldn't want to get rid of it.
0: Maybe they're arrogant and they think no one else knows about it.
1: Oh, yeah. They keep the secret from each other as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they all know. Yeah, yeah. that sounds about right. They get to the chamber where the Octavo is supposed to be, and it's just the other wizards in there. And I love the sequence because we get this flashback to Rincewind's school days. <laughs> he's like, he hears the voice <laughs> of one of his teachers, and it just gives him that flashback of having to walk up the front of the class and <laughs> write the answer on the chalkboard
0: and getting it wrong. And they're all impressed at Trymon's like, what he's done, kind of, because it's, like, it's not about... Because you know, the classic thing is, like, it's not about the destination. It's the... The journey you took along the way was the other way around. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, and they're very rude to Like They basically tell him he's useless. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's trying to use magic to open the door because you, you can't use any magic on the inside of the room, but the outside is not magic proof. So, he's trying to unlock the door and, you know, nearly makes his brain leak out of his ears. But he does it and... Look, I've got a question about this because he's trying to access mm. the power of the spell in his mind, but the spell kind of is slipping away from him. So does he does he do that or does he actually open it through his own magical ability?
0: I think it's his own magical ability because like yeah. it's slipping back so he he can actually like emerge a little bit like his actual self and ability. He's got more space. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's an indication of how bad a wizard he is that even when he can <laughs> do magic it takes him forever to unlock a door and he nearly, you know, gives himself an aneurysm in the brain. And that's not, that's not good. No, (laughs) they're very disdainful of his things. Yes, it's quite good. A bit slow. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But yes. Uh, And they all head off upstairs to the tower. The star is now huge, huge in the sky. You can see it in the daytime and there's, eight splotches on it, which Rincewind immediately understands are things orbiting around it in the same way that the disk sun orbits around mm. Greater Chewin. And this is one of a few times when the spell kind of fills in some information for Rincewind, which he doesn't really have access to. It just sort of comes out of his mouth <laughs> without him knowing. He sort of has it on the edge of his brain. He's like, I kind of know what's going on, but I can't quite put it together. They don't go straight up the top of the tower, but they know that trimon has gone up there and Twoflower's like, oh, we've got to do something. And Bethan also is sort of egging them on going, we've got to do something. Like, it's the end of the world. Two Flower goes off and there's that great bit where Rincewind's like, what are you going to do? You can't do anything. And he's standing there with his sword. He's like, well, could Cohen do anything? And Rincewind's like, well, no, not really. And he's like, well, then I might as well be as good as him then. And he has that line, I've been waiting for an adventure my whole time on this trip. And it's quite lovely, but also at the same time it's like you've been on a lot of adventures, buddy. Yeah. Like, what, <laughs> you've done what do you a think you've been things? doing? <laughs> like, what do you do at home? Like you you flew <laughs> on a dragon, you fell off the edge of the world, you met trolls and monsters and barbarians, you nearly got eaten by an eldritch god, you were in yeah, a yeah. Tavern brawl. What what do you what more do you want? But I guess he wants to save the world. Mm. But he seems quite earnest about it. Like he really thinks this is important and you should do the right thing. Mm. and Rincewind decides you know sort of with a with a heavy intake of breath as you might imagine <laughs> he's sort of like Ugh, all right we'll do it mm. and they head upstairs and so do the wizards and they somehow end up at the top of the tower first and they go and see Trymon then when they get upstairs and also see Trymon they're sort of just standing there and Trymon says yeah they've elected me the new chancellor and I've said the spells and yeah it's great and they're like yeah he said the spells and he didn't go mad that's amazing (laughs) and Mm. Rincewind realises wait a minute the things from the dungeon dimensions have not physically come through here they've just gotten into his mind and they're controlling him and this is bad 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 news and then there's a great sequence where Rincewind fights him And it describes how he's just whirling his arms around and uh, biting and punching and kicking. And Trimon (laughs) is still kind of Trimon and only knows how to fight as Trimon. And then they get sort of transported into the other dimension where he fights the creature and sort of drags its physical form back into the real world. And then Two Flower hits it with a sword. Like, it's it's hard to summarize this bit. Like, it's just kind of fun and action packed and a bit weird. Mm. But I I don't know. I kind of I liked it, though.
2: Yeah, it's basically two people who can't fight, just like screaming and mm. kicking and biting, and it was great.
1: Yeah, it's a bit like that. That uh, bit in that Buffy episode when who is it? It's um.
0: Oh no, it's Harmony and Xander, and, is... and they're just sort of, like smacking each other. And they do it in <laughs> slow motion of them just sort
1: of <laughs> waving their hands at each other. Yeah, it's a bit like that. Uh, but yeah. uh, Trimon is uh, is killed. The book which they've picked up, which was empty,
0: all the spells go back into it. And, and then suddenly, a title appears on the front: the color of magic and the light. Fantastner. <laughs> <laughs> there and back again.
1: A wizard's tale. Oh, no, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no the, um, the the that's tickled me. That was very funny. Yeah. That yeah, was good. The Game of Thrones. No. <laughs> Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. The, the, the eat, pray, love. No. The. The book has now all the spells in it, and Rincewind's just like, well, just, we gotta say them. Now's the time. And he speaks them out loud and he does them all, and this sort of magic hangs in the air, but nothing happens. And it's Bethan who points out, well, actually, that one looks kind of weird and brown and. The wrong kind of squiggle Whereas all the other ones are these bright colours And I don't think that's right Mm. Did you pronounce that word correctly And they have an argument about it And there's also the great bit where Cohen has arrived by this point And he's holding off the hordes of (laughs) red star fanatics Who have stormed up the tower And when one of them tries to tell Bethan to shut up When she's trying to help Rinswin figure out the spell He just like points his sword at her and says I think you should listen to the lady and let her speak And it's a nice sort of moment of him backing her up Hmm. But they kind of figure out what word or syllable he's mispronounced. They say it correctly and the spells are said. At which point the little things orbiting around the red star all hatch. And tiny Hmm. little world turtles come out with the elephants and the little discs on their backs. And uh, And very cute. Etuin turns around. And I like how they kind of explain that basically, and there's a passage a bit earlier... In order to get there and help these turtles hatch, he has to swim outside the sort of high magic part of the universe that he normally lives in that allows him to function and all of the stuff on the disc to Mm. work. And so that's why the magic starts waning as he gets close to the star, but then he turns around and goes back into where the eddies of magic are flowing, Mm. Uh, which I thought was kind of beautiful. And this is where he feels very content and happy about having done this and his feelings wash over everyone and they all calm down. And Rincewind has some very warm thoughts about how Two Flower sees the world as he tries to get out his iconoscope and take another photo of the red (laughs) star. Uh, Which just as a quick aside, I thought that was a bit strange because in all the other books, it's called an iconograph. And I'm pretty Mm. sure it's called an iconograph in the first book as well. But in this one, for some reason, it's an iconoscope. Mm. Who knows? And then we get to the end, really, which is just a nice sort of little aftermath. I'd totally forgotten that they go out drinking that night. <laughs> but <laughs> it just seems so right that they just get pissed together. Just get tanked. Uh, yeah. you know, and then Two Flowers, like, I'm going home. And uh, gets on a boat. And as a parting gift, he gives a big sack of gold to Rincewind to give to Cohen and Bethan, which Rincewind, <laughs> to his surprise, realizes he's going to do. And mm-hmm. he gives him the luggage, and he goes back to the university where he's been helping to sort of organize things because the senior wizards all got turned into stone by Trimund, mm-hmm. so there's nobody running the place. So he's like, well, I'll just go back and help sort things out, and maybe I'll re-enroll and become a proper wizard. And the luggage goes back with him. And
0: yeah, this just yeah. very nice.
1: It was, it was a very sweet
2: ending.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And it, it
2: felt like an ending, you know? like It, it felt like there was a real wrap-up at the end of the story. At least for their stories. Um, And I don't know if it continues, right?
0: It's it's written in a way that he could have just left it at these two and it's a complete thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I wonder if he was kind of like, maybe, like, it depends on how this will go, whether I do more, or Mm. later decided he wanted to do more. But they together are complete.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. And it's a bit, I think the other interesting thing about it is that He could have just written Discworld books about other people and never come back to Rincewind. Mm. And it would have been fine as well. And he could have just been an incidental character in a couple of books. But he did come back to him and he does write other books where he's a main character. But it doesn't quite, like I was saying earlier, it doesn't really quite gel with the end of this book. Like revisiting it now. Resemble the ending. Yeah. But what happens to Rincewind? Now, I really want to know, like, what happened to him after the end of this book? And how did he get to where he is in the next book we see him in, which is the fifth one in the series, Sorcery? Yeah. What has happened to him by then? I don't know the answer. Mm. But it'd be interesting to find out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But look, you know, that's the book. Are there any favorite bits we've missed out? Are there any things that you want to point out? There's so many good bits.
2: I've <laughs> Plenty of quotes. Yeah. There's a lot of good bits, but I think like one of the, again, repeating what I said about Cohen, his first appearance in the, you know, the sort of vaguely Mongolian hordes, sort of that nomadic tribe pastiche that's used a lot in Sword and Sorcery, and they're all discussing it. And his uh, his quote of hot water, good dentistry, and soft lavatory paper yeah. probably takes it as the top spot <laughs> for me. Um, it sets him up so great for the rest of the rest of the book. Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah. There's so many good lines, but I really enjoyed. Like, it looked like the sort of book described in library catalogues as slightly fox, although it would be more honest to admit that it looked as though it had been badgered, wolfed, and possibly bared as well. <laughs> that is a great I mean, one.
1: There's yeah. oh, so many good puns, Liz. Uh, no. Yeah. I think my favourite pun uh, is actually quite early in the book, where it talks about when you get too many wizards together, they kind of form a, a sort of critical black mass, which. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> very funny. Or it might have been God. Maybe it was God's critical, Black mass and God's. But it was still, yeah, I really like that one. In the first book, there's only one or two footnotes and they're very explanatory. Here is where Pratchett first starts properly experimenting with using them mm. purely for comedy. And there's some great ones. There's only about four, I think, in the book. But mm. uh, I do like the one about the thorn. A thorn is the basic unit of magical strength. It has been universally established as the amount of magic needed to create one small white pigeon... Or three normal-sized billiard balls? <laughs> I quite like how there's a specific definition for that. Um, I,
0: I wasn't paying full attention when I do my normal notes, so I usually write three headings, notes, quotes, and footnotes, but I've written footscray. Um <laughs> Reason. Did they go to Footscray? Uh, you know
1: what? That that magic shop has definitely turned up job. in the Nicholson Street Mall and sold some <laughs> things to people at one point. For sure. Uh,
0: but, but I guess I, w- I would like to share my favourite Footscray from this book, um, which is, so not precisely, of course, trees didn't burst into flame, people didn't suddenly become very rich and extremely dead, and the seas didn't flash into steam. A better simile, in fact, would be not like molten gold, so, that's, like, using molten <laughs> yeah. gold as a, like, pouring, like, molten gold as a beautiful image and then taking it to what would actually happen, which is horrifying. So, yeah.
1: And that's, like, that's a follow-on. There's that early bit where he discusses Olaf Quimby II and his rules for accurate descriptive writing. And that comes back several times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought that was great. You can
0: relate to him as well. Just, like, just just get it right. None of this, <laughs> this nonsense from your, your songs that your bards are doing. Mm.
2: There's a lot of good... Even characters refer to the, like, fantasy tropes, right? Like, in those that bit with the... I love this bit with the Druids when went like, no self-respecting high priest is going to go through all the business with the trumpets and the processions and the banners and everything and then shove his knife into a daffodil and a couple of plums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great.
1: It's yeah. very good. There's a little... It's not quite a Doctor Who reference, but it's quite similar. There's a little shout-out to the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. With a sound that defies description, but which for the sake of completeness can be thought of basically as spang, plus three days hard work in any decently equipped radiophonic workshop. <laughs> uh, and it's when it's when Gold is firing the arrow through the portal. Uh, yeah, just great. Just some really funny, good stuff. There's some good political stuff in there. Like these are early indications of sort of some of the things that Pratchett has strong beliefs about. Mm. When he describes one of the Red Star cultists talking about what is going to happen, like, you know, how they're going to burn everything down and kill everyone. Rincewind's listening to this guy's voice, and he's written, the voice didn't believe in gods, which in Rincewind's book was fair enough, but it didn't believe in people either. And that's an early vision of some of the stuff that's mm. really going to become core to what Pratchett wants to write about and wants to say in his writing. That's followed up by Death's speech, where he's come to see the future, and he agrees oh, yeah. it's horrible yeah. and, you know... He's not for death and destruction like this. You know, the death of the warrior or the old man or the little child. This I understand and I take away the pain and end of the suffering. I do not understand this death of the mind. And you know, it's quite mm. a serious moment in an otherwise pretty ridiculous book. Um, but I think, yeah, again, it's it's very much what Pratchett becomes all about, that kind of stuff. Mm. Liz, we, we got some... Pretty good questions about this book. Yeah, some bangers.
0: Yeah, some amazing ones.
1: Let's get into them.
0: All right, so let's do the first one. Um, this one comes from Molikov via Discord. What minor character would you like to see more done with? Bethan, Lakshore, Herena, et cetera. So that's a great, great one. And I hate that I have to choose just one. They should each have their own book.
1: <laughs> but yeah. you, I mean, you can say more than one if you want. No,
0: I've made the rules. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the rules have been set. Yeah. yeah. I've spoken. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I feel like for me, Herena, yeah, like like I said, I think that she she has a great uh, intro, right? Like she just had such a great intro, mm. and I really wanted to see where she would go with that, um, or where he would take her, but uh, yeah, she she just became a foil of other other books, um, yeah, definitely her. I think for me,
0: I would be interested in a Bethan book, but I would also be very interested in the Chancellor Weatherwax book Mm. because I feel like we I don't know if it's fair to call him a minor character because he does have quite a major role but he is lost quite early so that is a character Mm. I felt like had a lot of potential which is why it's sad when he's ripped from us so yeah yeah
1: yeah I agree I think he's my favorite character who doesn't get enough time in the book but I Mm. I mean I also really like Beth and I I would love to see more of her and I think it's kind of a shame because when Colin does return there's not really any mention of what happened to her um, and this is something Pratchett has, does with several characters where, you know, he'll introduce characters and they have a cohort or they have other people associated with them. And then when the character comes back, the associated characters are just not there. Like, he's obviously just lost interest mm. and he's only interested in, in the one particular character. And that happens with Cohen. Um It happens with a few other characters as well. And it's it's just a bit of a shame. I'm just like, oh, but Bethan was so mm. good. Like, where did that? How did it go? What happened with their relationship? Why isn't she there anymore? And I, I think there might be maybe a throwaway line in interesting times, but uh, it, I don't, it's not really explored much.
0: It's like, there's the the, the dirty thing again, where like when Winton's trying to politely be like, oh, don't you have a bit like, you're a bit incompatible maybe. I don't know. Like you've got quite the age difference. And she's like, and Cohen's like, theme's seems to be getting? He's like, oh yeah. Well, I hope she's strong enough. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's
0: not okay really is it <laughs> it's very <Yeah>. horrifying but
1: <laughs> yeah it's a bit Yeah, don't think about it don't think about but, it yeah. don't
0: imagine it don't imagine the tooth fairy in her den of teeth it's it's fine <laughs> uh,
1: yeah I think it's it's a bit sad too that you know we have characters who show up later on who kind of fill a similar kind of niche as Harenna in later books but not quite, and just doesn't come back, which is a shame.
0: I think they would have had a conscious uncoupling, and it would have been very amicable, but because she has not seen that much of the world, she would have like started off strong with him, but then she'd be like, oh, there's so much more I have to experience, and is now off living her best life. That's what I suspect is happening with Beth. That's my headcanon. Yeah,
1: yep. yeah, I buy that. I like that. And I would like to see that book where she goes off by herself. Yeah. That would be fun. Um, I also, I really liked Lackjaw, but I think... Uh, I I don't think... It would have been just nice for Lactual to show up in a cameo somewhere. I don't think we needed a whole book. Like, there's plenty of good dwarf characters, and I don't think Lactual had enough interesting, Mm. distinct stuff going on as a dwarf to...
0: He's not lacking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I do like when he straps the forge to his back and runs around with it on, (laughs) and you're like, he's a cool dwarf. I like it. But, Yeah. yeah, not that much of a personality to distinguish
0: him from other dwarves. All right, so next question comes from Dr. Linda Kirkman via Twitter. There's a quote. So magic, so that's what it felt like. Wonder wizards don't have much truck with sex. Is this the only direct non euphemism reference to sex and Pratchett's books? So Ben, you've got a response for this one, don't you? I
1: did I looked I did a bit of research on this to try and find some other quotes. And I think what did you have to Google? Uh well, I just knew what websites <laughs> to look on, you know? Um, <laughs> that doesn't sound any better, does it? No, sounds no, better it sounds like it, it makes doesn't. sense. We just added Pratchett websites, yep. people. Get your minds out of the gutter. <laughs> um i did not spe- no anyway uh but what's coming up in your algorithm now <laughs> <laughs> uh well i mean let's you don't want to know anyway the uh, well, it's already ruined from that time we googled like echidna penises for the podcast like it's just it's it's no good
0: what was the no we're not going to go back there. don't go
1: back there it's no. it's horrendous um if you're not re- if you're not prepared don't look um but it is it is quite interesting but also a bit horrifying, um, but the uh, <laughs> the answer to this is kind of that it's. I think it's definitely the most explicit, but it's not the only one. Like there he does use the word sex in a few things, and uh, I think the other most direct one is in Weird Sisters. There's a, a footnote about the Discworld having inconsistent calendars, and then there's a payoff gag at the end of that, which concludes that the only thing about time it's possible to be sure of is that good sex doesn't last long enough. And then there's a cryptic second footnote after that, a footnote of a footnote, which is something he has done in several books, that says, except for the Zabingo tribe of the Great Nef. And there's no explanation of what that means. Um, I think Zabingo is probably a reference to something that I don't know what it is. But in the Discworld Atlas, there's a description of the Zabingo tribe that claims they live at the base of the Viagra Falls. <laughs> so i think that kind of explains it a bit more but um there are a few other naughty things that he wrote in moving pictures the one where sort of the magic of hollywood comes to the disc there's all the animals that suddenly can talk because they've been turned into more or less cartoon caricatures and there's the rabbit who says like that this is ruining his sex life um so there's a bit of that uh, but most of the other stuff is is much more subtle so I i think the answer is it's not the only one but it's it's the most direct one. Uh, and certainly the only time the word orgasm appears in yeah. any Pratchett book, as far as I can tell.
0: And Rinsome's had them with other people. It's just, yeah, it's so blatant. I find that in, that in my notes, it's just like, I've got three exclamation marks, and then it's so blatant written down with another exclamation mark. <laughs> <Yeah. No. laughs> I know. It's
1: a far cry from something like Men at Arms, where, you know, the, the sort of main romance plot ends with the sex scene being described as the sound the spring in the bed makes. It goes glonk, and that's it. That's all you get. You know, it happens mm. off screen. So yeah, I
0: mean, this happens off screen. We just told a lot about it, more than I want to know about Rincewind. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, look, I, I don't know. I mean,
1: no. yeah, it's it's sort of unavoidable that it gives it a different tone when fantasy is usually so euphemistic about it all. Mm. I don't know. I thought it was. I found it kind of refreshing. I liked it. Nice
0: for him, but I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> are you Rincewind's mum? is that what's going on <laughs> yes and that's why i disapprove strongly of these first two books i'm <laughs> um, speaking as a great question and a great lead into the next question from tracy lou via twitter which is is it just me or is Rincewind a lot less annoying in this book i reread this recently and was not looking forward to it but i found it rather good and i'm right there with you on that like i was like oh this yeah, but it's actually just so much fun, and Rincewind was not a pain. I was just like, oh, okay, you're, you're acting pretty good here. I'd, I'd be probably the same in the circumstances.
2: I think his character sort of like, from the first book, right, like he was just so anti-everything, mm. right? Like he was just really antagonistic towards the situation, whereas in this case he wasn't antagonistic towards the situation. It was just he was commenting on it, you know, cynically. Mm. But he still went along with things. You know, in fact, he was a driver to a lot of the scenes. felt like he had a lot more agency. It didn't just feel like he was just being dragged along
1: by his... I don't know what clothes does Rinsman wear. Robes. Nightshirts. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. get really... One of the things that I thought I, uh, reading this is it gave me a real strong Douglas Adams vibes. Like, it's just mm. very, very cynical. You know, the heroes in the book are kind of normal people thrust into a terrible situation... Yeah, it felt a lot more like Adam's than his later writing does. And I I don't think that's Mm. necessarily a direct influence. I mean, he is writing this uh, six years after, or seven years after The Hitchhiker's Guide um, to the Galaxy has come out. But I think he's not emulating that. But I think the attitude and the cynicism of Rincewind, in particular, is more like... Kind of, uh, you know, but he, mm. he and Two Flower are a little bit like Arthur Dent and Ford Prefect, you know, like Ford Prefect's the one who knows about everything and is like, oh, God, this is going to be terrible, um, but does it anyway. Um, but, you know, has a different personality because he's always looking for a good time. And then you have Two Flower, who's the sort of naive one, who's always hopeful that things are going to work out well, which is a bit different to Arthur Dent, who also has that cynicism. So, they're, they're not quite the same, but I think there's a similar vibe. And- mm. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't find him that annoying. I, yeah, I liked him, but I, I've liked Rincewind more in every book that we've gone back to read him in. And I think we've read nearly all of his books now mm. on the podcast. I think there's only one or two left in which he makes a significant appearance, and I consistently found him less annoying. I think there was just one or two where I was like, "Oh, <laughs> like come on, man, get it together!" <laughs> and even then, it wasn't as bad as I remembered because I have quite a soft spot for him. You know, I started reading the books with these ones, and I like him a lot. And also, he's the only character I would ever reasonably get cast as in anything. So, I guess there's a, there's a little bit of, of that hope in me. Yeah.
0: Like, Is it that, like, the older I get, the more I'm like, no, he's actually, you know, I can understand this attitude. <laughs> <laughs> like, is, is that what it is? I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it is
2: there's a lot saying about you That's, there's a lot there yeah. <laughs> because
0: my answer really hinges on. i was like oh you know like i'd probably react the same i was like a lot hinges on the fact that i'm not annoying for that to <laughs> but, <you know. laughs>
1: well i, I can <laughs> safely say you're not annoying liz i mean
0: <laughs> yeah, you haven't traveled with me so like you know, yeah. to- <laughs> i've
1: traveled to the discord many times with you
0: yes uh-huh oh. yeah for the next question comes from a chew and sneeze by Twitter who came through with a lot of really great observations and questions, which unfortunately we're not going to be able to get to all of. But um, I think we'll start with: Do you think Sir Terry had or had an interest in synesthesia? He is very good at giving colors to emotions or magic. I'm going to go right ahead and say yes, because that's a, mm. and th- that's a great observation as well.
1: Yeah, I've I've never seen anything that suggests he experienced synesthesia, but yeah, it's an amazing observation. He absolutely does. Although mm. the light fantastic itself, which is mentioned, we should say just once exactly, <laughs> as the the uh, color on the opposite side of darkness uh, that the octavo sheds, and then it just says oh, it's, the, it's the light fantastic, and then which is described as a rather disappointing shade of purple, uh, much as the color of magic <laughs> octarine is described as a disappointing shade of greenish purple in the first book. But yeah, I, it's a fascinating idea. I go with your answer. It's funny.
2: I have, so I have an observation about that. There's a lot of, especially that time of like fantasy. There was a lot of stale fantasy that was coming out from other authors that were, you know, emulating styles like Tolkien and um, Lewis and the 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 big, you know, Howard and Fritz Leiber and all that kind of stuff. But the descriptions all was very very stale, right? Like they they didn't really get into the weeds. There was a really good essay if you really want to nerd out about this called "Wizardry and Wild Romance." Um, by Michael Moorcock, um, the writer of Elric and a bunch of other things. But he was talking about the idea that description is your way of telling your audience something about the world that isn't about just the description. And I think that Pratchett does that, not just in the description of synesthesia, but also in just everything he does. Like The descriptions are not just about a particular city. It tells you something about something Mm -hmm. else. And it's that trick in fantasy of like not bogging down. I think, Liz, you mentioned this that, like, the, the descriptions don't bog down in exposition. Mm. But it's just, yeah, it's an interesting observation, a
1: good question.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. There's also a really interesting observation here where perhaps the librarian wasn't turned into an orangutan by the Octavo, which I don't agree with, but I also think that mm. is an interesting premise because, as soon said, Trimon is way too familiar with him in that shape than he would be had it just happened. But my theory is that he is just a really good user of people, as is shown later, so he just, like, adapts really quickly. But it is possible in this sort of situation that they wouldn't notice that their librarian got turned into an orangutan. It's a big institution and they don't really care about each other, so they could have happened months or years ago. And they're just like, oh, maybe he, like, I don't know, magic happened around him. It's possible, and I really love that as as an option.
2: (laughs) Just, like, spells happen all the time, so this is just another day in the week. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this
1: is the thing. the point when it happens in the book, like it's such a big event in the terms mm. of the history of the discord because he's such an important character later, and they always refer to the magical accident which turned him in first of all, it's not a magical accident like yeah. <laughs> the the, the, the Octavo is <laughs> doing this on purpose, I mean, I guess it is accidental that he's turned into an orangutan that's not the point of the magic being unleashed, so yeah it's there's that, but it is such a short mention of what happens where someone just goes that orangutan looks like the chief librarian Mm. and then later on he just is the chief librarian and still uh and all the wizards just accept it but i Mm. and i i kind of i'm on board with you liz i think it's just says something about the unseen university that if your librarian gets turned into an (laughs) orangutan you don't bat an eyelid you just get on with the job you know Uh, (laughs) and if you are the librarian in question you don't let that slow you down. Yeah. So I quite liked that, but I did also think you could easily read it as maybe the librarian's been buffeted around, but some other magical accident is what turned him in. So I think if you if you want that to be your head canon, uh and sneezed, please go right ahead. I think that's very reasonable. But I I think this is the thing that turns him into an orangutan. Uh,
0: next question comes from Lachlan via Discord. Does Light Fantastic feel to anyone else like the first real Discord book? Not that it's in the first book set in the Discord but the first that kind of brings together what stylistically they feel like more afterwards. I like colour more than I expected when I read it the second time, but tonally it feels more like the experimental version. So I've truncated that question. But we touched on that a bit during the podcast, mm. didn't we? In mm. terms of how they compare to each other. It does feel, in particular, parts of it feel like
1: Pratchett's trying out ideas. Mm. Uh, And I mean, it's not the first time he's tried out some of these ideas either. We haven't read Strata for the podcast yet, but when we do, I mean, that's the first time he writes a book about a flat world. And Mm. that's not the Discworld, it's its own thing. And likewise, there's some stuff in his other earlier books that he comes back to. And I think it's always, it's kind of an inspiration that, you know, one of the most successful fantasy authors on the planet ever Mm. Uh, had several goes at his favourite ideas before he got yeah. them into their final form. And each one of those mm. goes was still good enough to go into a published book. it's mm. um, impressive. Yeah, so I, I kind of see it like that. But I agree that it doesn't feel like the later Discworld in tone. It's much more of a parody still. But it is sort of a halfway point between The Color of Magic and what comes next. But it feels a lot more like, say, Equal Rights or Mort. Although Mort, I think, probably takes the next step further than this one. But this one, had, a, I feel, has a very similar tone to Equal Rights in particular, the next book. Mm.
2: I think, like, with the benefit of not having a huge sort of lexicon of Pratchett in my head and being able to see it with the perspective of someone that's new, right, to, to his writing, I think the Discworld is at least seems more fleshed out in this book than it was in The Color of Magic, right? Like to me, if you would have told me this was the first book in the series, I probably would have believed you just because it feels like he had experimented with some of those pastiches that he was already doing in this book. Like we have Harun the Barbarian in The Color of Magic and then we have Cohen in this one. But Cohen is just much stronger of a, of a character, mm. right? Like they're both playing off the same, you know, archetype but Cohen is just so much mm. more interesting and has so much more going, going for him. Yeah. No shade on obviously. <laughs> So much shade on still, still, still my best boy. So, oh. yeah.
0: The next question comes from Sven by Discord. Since we have here an example of high magic slash high fantasy Pratchett, do you prefer your role-playing games slash books, etc., more in the high magic or low magic settings?
2: I mean, I, because the question is both role-playing games slash books, I think both of those things have different answers for me. Yeah. <laughs> because in role-playing games... I really like low, low fantasy settings, you know, like shout out to John Harper's Blaze in the Dark, cause that's an amazing low fantasy setting. And I generally steer away from epic fantasies like D&D or, you know, I'm being generic here, but you know, mm. the, the, that's my example. For books, it's sort of all over the place. um I love low magic systems, but they speak to a different type of character development, right? It's like usually more character focused. Um, and the epic fantasy stuff is a lot of world building and like, you know, Sanderson. So if you, if you really want to go in for that, then sure. But yeah, I think it's a mix. I, I don't think I have a preference. Um, I guess is the short answer to that that's question.
1: I mean, I do, I do like a bit of both. I think, I'm almost kind of the other way around from you in some ways, Joel. Um, I I mean, I do like all kinds of magic in my role-playing games, um, Mm. and I've really enjoyed some pretty high fantasy role-playing. I mean, Dungeons & Dragons you can play at a lot of sort of levels. The default kind of understanding of the system is probably very much like this, like the Discworld, but I've also played things like Mage, The Ascension, which is all Mm. about being able to do incredible works of magic, but you have to figure out how to do them without blowing yourself up, essentially that's yeah. you down a lot, but you know, it's, that's what it's like. And I enjoy that as a sort of a weird challenge, but it's, but it's a difficult thing to do in role playing games and, and video games too, is that if you give people these abilities to shape the world around them, how do you still present them with challenges? Because they're not <laughs> characters in a yeah. book where you decide what's a challenge and what's not, you know, you're presenting it to players and then they're reacting to it. So You have to have these sort of built-in checks and balances, so to speak. Um, But when it comes to books, I generally like low magic stuff, like that sort of uh, low fantasy, a bit more gritty. But I think, you know, as we've said before, these early books feel a lot more like sword and sorcery than they do like Tolkien. That certainly seems to be where they're taking a lot more of their inspiration from.
2: Which which is an inspiration source that I think today is very much not something that you would necessarily pick up on. If you were a casual reader of Mm. fantasy and then you just started reading Pratchett, you might compare this to Lord of the Rings because that's your frame of reference, right? Which is completely fair. But yeah, like you said, Ben, I think sword and sorcery is a more apt comparison, but again, more dated, so it probably wouldn't. You know, people are not going to pick that up, I guess, in terms of the source material, like Fafnir and the Great Mouser, for instance, which is a crying shame, I yeah. have to admit, because
1: that great, great genre. Yeah, there's some great stuff and not many people writing it these days. I mean, um, yeah, um Michael Chabon did Gentleman of the Road, which is a great sort of modern take on that same kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, you don't see a lot of it. There's some great role playing games, actually, though, that have come out in recent years that do focus on that. And some of them are more specific in their references. Like, there's a great one called, uh, I think it's Cavaliers of Mars, which is, you know, a sort of planetary mm. romance-inspired uh, game. And there's the old-school Renaissance, like these games that emulate the really early versions of Dungeons & Dragons. They tend to draw on that sort of stuff as a source. Yeah, like Torchbearer yeah, like Torch would be a good... Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Dungeon World, even, to an extent. But that's uh, they're less high magic stuff. And Mm. that's sort of more to give the players, I think, higher stakes because they don't have these great magical tools at their disposal. And the only magic is like in the hands of madmen and gods, you know? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of stuff like that.
0: And now for our final question, I'm going to go back to one from A Chew and Sneezed. What four forces do you think keep the universe going? So um, as an extra comment, he said, if Liz doesn't say puns is one of them, the world is broken. And of course, puns <laughs> is one of them. It's very necessary. In fact, on,
1: on Twitter, Liz, didn't you say puns would have to be at least two of them?
0: Yeah, well, but they- of course. <laughs> so, um, so Tunes Things came out with a suggestion. It's puns, puns, dad jokes, and long-form critical essays, which I am very on board for. <laughs> it's so you.
1: It's so you. I feel like I'm going to have to get you a badge or a t-shirt with that written on it.
0: Yeah. Puns, puns, dad jokes, long-form critical essays. Yep. Like one of those Helvetica
1: ones? <laughs> yes, with a little ampersand at the end. <laughs> Actually, this says a lot about me that I already have a template for that sort of T-shirt so I can make one uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. I'm going to make it happen for you. Please do. That's great. No, this is... Oh, what a good question. Yeah. Uh, we should say in the book, the bit that we're referencing is uh, the line that says, the universe, they said, they being druids, depended for its operation on the balance of four forces, which they identified as charm, Persuasion, uncertainty and bloody mindedness, which (laughs) reminds me. I mean, I think I I wrote a joke once about the flavors of quark because they're they're sort of the six flavors of quark, which are up, down, charmed, strange, top and bottom. And I joked the next flavors have already been. Uh, decided on there'll be chocolate and raspberry ripple but it's not i think as soon as you start talking about flavors and charm and these fundamental forces it it invites these kind of jokes but this is i think one of my favorite ones what do you think joel we know what lizards are
2: (laughs) i mean i feel like i should just steal that line from cohen and just say you know (laughs) hot waters (laughs) good dentistry (laughs) soft Ah. lavatory paper and a good podcast would be my last edition (laughs) yeah okay. I'm bored with that bringing it bringing it all the way around
1: yeah, yeah. Ben, oh, I'm trying it's i it's hard because I want to think about it too seriously
0: <laughs> <laughs> seriously if you want to um, I think look or I think note how many puns or toilet paper it's just you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would like empathy to be one of them uh, I would like to think that the power of empathy drives some things in the universe, and then maybe comedy I think would have to be one of mine. I think that things happen because they're funny And in fact, now I'm tempted to say comedy, tragedy, empathy and slapstick would be the other one Mm. I mean, which might seem like it's comedy But I think slapstick is its own thing and sometimes it's not funny It's distinct, yeah (laughs) So You just need it So I think comedy, tragedy, empathy and slapstick Nice There we go That's a very you answer (laughs) I like it Appreciate that (laughs) uh well that that kind of brings us to the end joel thank you so much for coming back two and a half years yeah, later pleasure. it was great we
0: didn't get you a hat for this, this hat trick
1: yeah, yeah there you go
0: is it a try hat
1: we yeah i hope so we haven't currently got you scheduled in for any more episodes so you're not required to read any more pratchett i'm off the but, hook uh, do you think you will will you go and read some more Oh, probably.
2: Yeah. Now that I've gotten the two-year stint out of the way, <laughs> I got to look at the publication history <laughs> and just work my way through it. Just give it a six months, you know, we'll see what mm-hmm. happens.
1: I can tell you the next one, you only need to wait about six months to read. Oh, man. That's uh, a and then the next one after that is about a year. So, can okay. they start coming out I think I can more frequently, that like there's at least two or three a year for a long time. Yeah. I like that I'm role-playing
2: the release schedule for a it's uh, like that uh, book Twitter series. That's great.
1: account that like was in real time reenacting I think it was World War Two and they were just tweeting what <laughs> oh, the man. major things happening wow. but in real time like seventy years later. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty intense. Work your way up to but much stuff. more fun than that. Man. Yeah
2: <laughs> much more fun. Thanks. Maybe man. we should create
1: a Twitter account like that starts next year and just tweets uh when all the Discworld stuff happened but like 40 years later
3: Mm
2: -hmm. yeah that's my Um, release it is in fact it's
1: the 50th anniversary this year of his first ever book being Mm. published Mm. The Carpet People which was first published in November 1971 so you know it's that's a big deal
0: but Mm. the 70s was only 20 years ago so how's that
1: (laughs) well what I'm saying is we could start that Twitter (laughs) account this year in November and then it wouldn't have anything to do for five years (laughs) If it's only doing his books.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, five years ago in 2000. Yeah. That's
1: a commitment. Uh, it probably. is. Well, look, you know, we we like to commit to the bit here at Pratchett. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so to, do I, yeah. apparently. Champing <laughs> at the
0: bit. Champs of the bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Well, look, Joel, it's been a while since you were last on the podcast. So what are you up to now? Where can people find what you're up to uh, if they want to hear more from you?
2: Well, they can't find anything about me because I've absconded from the internet. How dare you? I've taken it away with me and buried it away from my life. Uh, no, I, I, I'm a, a lot of projects all sort of on the download, the hush mm. hush or whatever, um, that you'd like to call it. Um, and I'm really looking forward to announcing a few in the next couple of weeks. Whenever this is out, I think it'll be a little bit and then you'll get to it. But yeah, working away some speculate news, fingers Ooh. crossed and that's exciting for me and the team so we shall see what comes of it if, if, if you want to check that out the speculate mailing list is probably the best thing for you as for me i'm very boring so Just direct all your inquiries to speculate.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll keep an eye out for that and we'll update the links on our website and in the notes for this episode so that when that news breaks and when information is available about Joel's other projects, we'll add them in. So, if you're listening to this in the future, you may already know what Joel got up to next. Don't spoil it for us now by sending a message back through time. (laughs) We want to be surprised. Uh, But But the voice appears as a footnote. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but thank you so much again joel um, and thank you all of you for listening it's always a pleasure to know that there's people out there uh, thank you to all our subscribers of course um, if you want to be a subscriber you can be you can support the podcast monetarily you can also support us just by telling folks about the podcast and spreading the word you can also support the podcast and indeed your local Discworld convention by coming along not even in person the Australian Discworld convention this year was postponed until next year, but they are still holding an online celebration called the Lost Con, which is happening on the 3rd of July, 2021. And we are going to be there, Liz. We are. It's going to be so exciting.
0: So I like phrase it like it's a question. I was like, we are? No, I, we are. Yeah, we are. We're, I know.
1: We'll be <laughs> there on the 3rd of <laughs> July. Uh, and what we'll be doing is we're doing a, an hour long live panel. Where we are going to revisit the first book we read for the podcast. Mm -hmm. We're going to go back and have another look briefly at Men at Arms. And then we're also going to answer whatever questions the audience who's there want to ask us about podcasting, about Terry Pratchett, about their experience of rereading the book's... Yeah, so if you want to find out more about The Lost Con and indeed the rescheduled Nullus Anxiety 7A, which is now happening from the 8th to the 10th of April in 2022 up in Sydney, you can find out more by going to ozdwcon.org and we'll put a link to that in the notes for this episode.
0: Both can be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. While we're talking about questions and answering them, I'd also just like to give a quick shout out to all of our subscribers. If you're listening to this, we're looking at when we're going to record the next Oot Club, which is our special bonus podcast podcast just for subscribers and we need some more questions so if you've got questions that you want us to answer on the oot club bonus podcast send them in please uh we can use some more that's it except to say that we'll be back next month and liz we're going somewhere a little further afield than even the disc world
0: is it further or is it long
1: oh like it's long
2: yeah. I think. So, yeah. yeah. So
0: we're going to head back to the Long Earth with the Long War. So please announce your questions using the hashtag Pratchett45, which I am so excited about because Pratchett44 is most inauspicious and it nearly killed me having to, to look at that. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So it's not your fault. It's just it's numbers. They, they just, it just happens. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah. You can't
1: really skip them when you're counting, can you? You get in trouble. Yeah. Although I, I should I like- have known. I should have. This could have been Pratchett43A, you know?
0: Yeah. I. I had my opportunity to say it, and I just saw it and I was like, oh, no. And then I just, like, quietly, (laughs) quietly was inauspicious.
1: (laughs) I think it went quite well for an inauspicious number.
0: Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. No attention. Uh, Um,
1: But, look, that's it. That's it from us this month. Uh, We'll look forward to going back to the long earth next time. But until then, remember, if you get scared of the dark, that's just your fight or light reflex. You've been listening to Pratchat, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club podcast with Pratchatters Elizabeth Flux, Ben McKenzie, that's me, and guest Joel Martin. Pratchat is produced and edited by me with music by David Ashton of Sample and Hold Studios. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pratchat Podcast, and listen to past episodes and support the production of new ones via PratchatPodcast.com. Join the conversation for this episode using the hashtag Pratchat44. I'm so sorry,
0: Prat Chat is brought to you by Splendid
2: Chaps Productions. We make entertainment for your ears, like the Doctor Who podcast, Splendid
3: Chaps, and time travel comedy series, Night Terrace. To find out more, visit splendidchaps.com.